Now, Canes fans, and we are headed there tonight as the Miami Hurricanes continue to work towards making things right. Riding a three-game win streak into Saturday's nostalgic game against Florida International University at Marlins Park, the former location of the Orange Bowl. Will the Canes be able to build new dreams under Manny Diaz as soon as next season? That's what we're going to explore tonight. It's a special show with a special format. We'll start with an in-depth look at the offense. Then we'll take your calls for discussion on the future of the offense. And then we'll talk defense and take additional calls. By the time we are finished later this evening, we should all have a good feeling about where these hurricanes might be going in the next 12 months. Hello again, everybody. I'm Gary Furman, the publisher of Canesport.com. And I welcome you once again to Canesport Live. Presented by Sicilian Oven Restaurants, everybody's favorite Italian restaurant throughout South Florida with those six locations in Dade and Broward County. At Sicilian Oven, 
You will not only love the taste, you will taste the love. As always, this is your show, and it's going to be driven by your participation. The call-in number is 563-999-3633. That's 563-999-3633. Have over 100 open phone lines, plenty of room for everybody to call in and participate. Tonight, I'm going to be joined by our managing editor at Kane Sport, Matt Shodell, who's going to assist me in providing analysis looking at next year's team. Uh, Matt, welcome to Kane Sport Live. It's a cameo appearance everybody's been waiting for all season. Yeah, I guess what am I, a long-time listener, first-time co-host or something? I don't know. What <laughs> no, we, yeah, you've been on be before. You, you've been on before. <laughs> well, that was a while. <laughs> Not in a while. Not for the new Miami I haven't been. I was, that was for the old Miami. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, tonight, like I said, we're going to change the format of the show a little bit. We're going to break down the future of the offense. We'll take those calls, and we'll, we'll do the defense. Um, so right now, to everybody listening, only hit the one on your keypad if you're going to want to talk offense with us here in a little bit. Um, if not, sit tight, and um, we'll get you on the show later uh, to talk about more general topics or the defense. Um, but before we get to that, let's first take a quick look at next year's schedule, Matt. And, um, you know, we thought that this year's schedule was extremely friendly coming into the year. Well, next year's might be even friendlier. Uh, the Canes are going to open on September 5th against Temple at Hard Rock Stadium. It's a decent opponent, no question. The school where Manny Diaz was going to be the head coach before the Canes opening came up. But Temple is certainly not the Florida Gators, who the Canes played this year in Orlando. Then the next two weeks, they're going to stay home, and they're going to play Wagner and Alabama-Birmingham. So I think you have to suspect at this point that Miami starts out 2023-0. I, I think that, you know, when you look at everything coming back, uh, Temple, you know, decent opponent, but they got to come down here to start the season. I, I think that you, if you can, if, when you, if you're looking towards the future, you got to say great chance Miami starts out 3-0. Then they're going to travel to Michigan State to play a Spartan team that quite simply has not played very well this year. They're 4-6. and six. They've lost five straight games, and that's the kind of downward momentum that they're going to take into the offseason and into next season. So even though that is supposed to be the marquee out-of-conference game on Miami's schedule next year, it's showing up right now as we sit here 10 months out, about as tame as you ever could hope, or, or maybe hope's not the right word, because you kind of would like for the, those games to be big games that capture a lot of national interest. I think it's pretty safe to say that one is not going to accomplish the, the goal that might have been uh, set at the time it was scheduled. Uh, and the Canes should go up to Detroit and up in, into uh, East Lansing and, and have a pretty decent shot at beating Michigan State to go to 4-0. So after that, the AC schedule will follow. The FSU game is at home next year. Y your crossover game on the road is going to be at Wake Forest, which is having a, a very good season this year, as you know, but certainly not a program that should be able to match Miami athlete for athlete. athlete. And, and seven of the 12 games next year are going to be at Hard Rock Stadium. So when you put all of that together, Matt, um, it's pretty hard to not walk away 
um, with the opinion that it's shaping up as a 2020 season where Manny Diaz can certainly begin to turn things around after this year's rough start to his reigns, to his reign as the Canes coach, and an awful lot of reason for optimism when you factor in what's coming back, which we'll get to here in a moment, and what the schedule looks like. I mean, yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. Miami's always been the team that will play anybody, anywhere, anytime, you know. Um, and it's funny because you mentioned Michigan State and how they've lost, whatever, five in a row, right? Uh, well, four of those losses at Ohio State, at Wisconsin, at Michigan, and then at home against Penn State. You know, that's the kind of teams Miami should be playing. You know, the Michigans, the Ohio States, the Wisconsin's, the Penn States of the world. And they're not. So, as a Miami fan, you know, would you rather, you know, win nine or ten games against a pretty easy schedule or try to win nine or ten games against a very difficult schedule and perhaps, as happened with Michigan State, not do very well. Of course, Michigan State didn't have a choice with some of those just since they're confident they're Big Ten games. But, um, but you know, it's, it's a conundrum because you, you asked Manny Diaz about it this week. And, you know, Manny said, well, you know, we're scheduled to play Texas A&M, and we, every year we have tough opponents, you know, a tough non-conference opponent. And I, I don't think they do. And I think Manny Diaz is just fine with that because, you know, if he can get to 9 or 10 wins every season, you know, that's right now that's a success the way this program is. And then maybe when they're ready to play the really big names, the Alabamas, the, you know, whoever, Ohio State, Penn State, whatever it may be, um, the issue is going to be, well, you schedule so far as in the future this way. Now, how can you be the top-ranked team in the country when you want to be if you're not beating anybody that will jump you up the polls if you start, say, ranked 20th or 25th behind a bunch of other teams and you end up losing one game, a bunch of other teams, how do you lose one game? Where does that leave you? So it, it's a push and pull to me. I'd rather they play the tougher opponents, at least mix some of them in a little more than they are, uh, just because that's what Miami's always been. Um, but maybe the program's not ready for it. So, you know, uh, we'll see what happens. Well, I mean, here's the, here's the issue as I see it, even beyond, you know, the, the national games and the potential to get game day. How about a home game that you could bring recruits to, <laughs> which they didn't have this year? And I've never seen recruit attendance worse through an entire season as it was this year. The local kids – for, you know, in a, in a lot of cases, did not have a great interest in coming out there. Uh, I am not sure I remember seeing Don Chaney, who's the plum of the recruiting class, at a home game more than maybe once this entire season. And, you know, other recruits that they were trying to interest, like the Isaiah Walkers of the world and, 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 and those kind of kids just never showed up at Hard Rock Stadium. The, the games weren't compelling enough. It, it, it's a huge disadvantage, you know, when you look at, at what, you know, like Florida had going on with a couple of their big games this year. And I think that's a big issue for this program going forward, because as we've talked about, the only way, and I guess this is as much an opinion as anything, but the only way this program takes a major step forward is if it elevates its recruiting. And as an example of that, um, you know, I was watching the, the Alabama-LSU game the other day. They had 10 players on the field who were going to be first-round draft picks in April. And they had 17 that are going to be drafted in the first three rounds. I don't think Miami has one player on its roster that falls into either one of those categories, unless DJ Dallas or Trayvon Hill suddenly pops into the third round, which is, which is highly suspect. I mean, it's a diff- different sport that the top teams in college football are playing right now 
in relation to what Miami's doing. And if the stated goal of this program and that was publicly stated in 2016 is to get back into the upper echelon of college football, then I think this is one of the things that is going to have to change. And, and, you know, we've been really hard on Blake James this year on this show and as, as a fan base. And he was great enough to come on Kane Sport Live a couple of weeks ago, as you know, Matt. But, you know, I don't know that you can afford to schedule Michigan State and Texas A&M in, in, in today's situation where the coastal division of the ACC is as bad as it is. I mean, I was just looking at the rankings that came out. Um, the college football playoff rankings, there's not, other than Clemson, there's not an ACC team in the top 25. I, I, I mean, so you, if you're going to be a relevant force in college football, you cannot count on the ACC Coastal Division to supply that type of um, showcase for you if you're Miami and like I'm I like to look at like 2025 when you've got Florida and Notre Dame coming into Hard Rock Stadium that's an aberration um, a, a fluke really but I like to see that because that's two games where if Miami is a good team they'll be on game day every recruit in the state of Florida is going to want to come down the Hard Rock Stadium for those games that's how they need to rebuild this program that Matt is how this program was built the first time on big games in the orange bowl where we're going back on Saturday. I mean, I, uh, I actually think that the lack of recruits at games, uh, to some extent is by design, not that they're not invited to the games. They are, but in the past you'll see coaches, you know, repeatedly, please come to the game. We'd love to see you. It's going to be great. Here's what we're going to do at the game with you. Get there early. Da, 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 da. They weren't opening the recruiting gates until, you know, two hours before the game. I mean, reporters were getting there before the recruiting gates were open for some games this year. Um, And the reason being, I I think, and I think it's a a valid reason, uh, recruits nowadays are not the same as the recruits that were watching games in the OB. You know, those recruits were going to stay home. They were going to help build this program to what it is uh, or what it became at that time. Uh, recruits nowadays, you'll hear the word business decision. You know, there's no more secrets where the local top kids, uh, by the time another program comes in, it's too late. You know, the Miami's been recruiting these kids for two years now. Oh, some other top program comes in two months before signing day. It's too late. Uh, with, with the Internet, with, with um, you know, I mean, with rivals, honestly, there's no secrets. So with that said, if you're Manny Diaz and the Hurricanes, do you want to take a chance? And in particular this year, when they had over 20 commitments on board before the first game, okay, a recruit is committed. If he comes to a game and sees fans booing or fans flying banners or whatever might happen. Or a half-empty stadium. Or a half-empty stadium. That's the danger. You don't want them to see that. As nice as it is to have a recruit who's not committed anywhere and who can be super impressed, you don't want to run the risk the way Miami is right now. You don't run that risk. I have no problem. Well, but, but you're supporting my point. You are supporting my point because I, well, I totally saying, agree. You're saying they need to play big games to have recruits go to the stadium. I'm saying don't well, get, to get anybody to, the to come. Until they're winning big games. Yeah, but you can't you can't put you can't fill Hard Rock Stadium uh, playing Wagner and 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 Alabama no, Birmingham. No, you can't. But I mean, I'm, what I'm trying to say is it's not going to affect recruiting because. You don't want recruits there seeing Miami losing a big game and getting booed anyway. That's what I'm trying to say. Until they're ready to beat those big-name teams, it's not going to matter. You don't want yeah, them there. But, That's what I'm trying to say. But you've got to make these schedules five, six years out. Like, you can't well, – I agree. Yeah, I, I you, you know, yeah, you, you got to get good – 
and and yeah, yeah that's whole, whole, that's when, whole when other debate. I'm talking for rankings, for rankings and winning national championships. I think you need the schedule. For recruiting, I don't think you want them coming to the games until you know you're winning those games. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, too, but, it, but you're not going to get how how are you supposed to get elite recruits if they can't come watch you play in your home stadium? They can't. Well, they can come watch. What I'm saying is, I don't think Miami is particularly encouraging kids to come out, and I think that. Um, they're they're not winning top recruits over. So what they have to do now, the, the, the formula to success for Miami right now, as sad as it is to say, is you're not getting five-star kids. So you got to get those three and four stars that you can develop. And as you see this year, they're redshirting a lot of them, which is what they need to do. And then like Virginia Tech's formula used to be, when those kids are redshirt juniors, redshirt seniors, that's when you're good. That's when you start to cycle over again with top recruits. If you remember back in the day when Frank Beamer was really successful, there would be a couple of years where they were so-so and then they'd be great for two years and then so-so for two years and then great for two years. And that's because when those kids were redshirt juniors and redshirt seniors, they were winning 10 and 11 games and they were getting good recruiting classes those two years. But then those kids would come in and not be good for another two or three years. And in that interim, you're not getting great recruiting classes. So Miami has to start there to me and then make it consistent because right now what's, what's been happening in the last decade plus is, is not going to do it. Something's got to change. And, you know, having recruits come out and see Miami get booed or have, you know, fill stadiums isn't, isn't the formula. The formula is getting these kids on campus, meet the coaches, meet the players, see the family atmosphere, see it's a great academic situation, see the plans for the new facilities um, and the current facilities, you know. I mean, this is a program that on its face should be able to compete with anybody in terms of not being at the stadium because the stadium right now to me is, is honestly a little bit of a negative, just the way the, the atmosphere is there. It, it just is. But everything else is off the charts compared to anybody else to me the stadium the stadium's definitely a negative but that's because the, right. because they're not so playing at anybody if they if that let's say that florida game was at hard rock instead of orlando to start the season and and i give uh, blake credit because the next series with florida is a home and home let's say that game was at hard rock stadium instead of in orlando now you got game day on campus you you, you know you you've got a full stadium on a saturday night and the place is, is electric, like it was when Notre Dame yeah, played many, here in, 20, many, in 2017. How many, recruits, how many recruits committed it because of the Notre Dame win? One? I mean, what I'm trying to say is that's not how you're winning recruits. That's all I'm saying. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't agree with you. I, I think that nights I think like that recruits, potentially. Mean, mean, I think nights like days like that and nights like that, I mean, that, that game day episode – before the Notre Dame game on campus with the lake and, and, and everything else was one of the most amazing game days I've ever seen in all the years I've been watching agree, game day. And I, and I think ESPN felt that way too. Huh? I mean, there was no commitment. After, there was one commitment. After that. I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember to be honest with you, I, you know, what, what happened in the, in the yeah. couple days afterward, but I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that it didn't hurt anything for sure. No, that and, doesn't hurt anything. Correct. 100%. And, you know, we're completing a season here. Uh, we've actually finished the home schedule where there wasn't one game that would inspire the casual Miami fan to get his butt to the stadium. You know, the, the, the numbers that were announced or were the numbers that were, that were announced in reality, there were probably about 45,000 people at most of those games. And you're looking at the same thing next year other than the Florida state game. And we don't know what Florida state's going to bring down here next year, but there there's, that's the only, that's a one game season. I mean, you know, the, people are not going to come out to see Wagner and Alabama, Birmingham. 
And I think the days of scheduling Bethune and Sam Yu and I, I just think you, you said a minute ago that something needs to change. And we've been watching this now for 15 years and you are 100 percent correct. Something needs to change. But you have to be, you know, they're going to have to be open to change. Like, you know, you can't just do business like everybody else in college football is doing and play all these cupcake home games because you have good conference games coming down the pike. They don't have good conference games coming down the pike with all respects to the fact that they're losing way too many of them these days. I mean, you got to hope that Manny Diaz does, does a good job here and gets this program to the point where it's not losing the Georgia tech and Virginia tech uh, on an, on a North Carolina on a, on a regular basis, like it has been. Um, But you know, those coastal games are not going to fill Hard Rock, okay? So if you want to create a showcase for your program, they're going to have to step up and schedule like they are in 2025 when you've got South Florida. I didn't even mention them. South Florida, Florida, and Notre Dame as three of your four non-conference games. I mean, that is spectacular. I mean, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard, okay? And, yeah, they're taking a chance that a lot of teams in college football don't take. But 2025, it's going to be lit in the 305. I'll tell you that right now. I mean, the, the Miami fans are going to be excited for that home schedule. And I guarantee you that if Manny does his thing, that you'll have game day at least once or twice down here that year. And um, I think it's going to be great. So, you know, we'll see what happens. But as, as we look towards the future tonight, that's one thing that really jumps out at me before we even get into the team and the roster um, that I think Blake James and the administration has to look at. Um, be more aggressive in scheduling. Lose the absolute ridiculous games like Bethune and FAMU and Wagner. Uh, just just forget about them, okay? And 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 – Challenge yourself to be a better football program and a better team. Get the recruits in the state of Florida excited about your games, which I don't feel they accomplished this year, and, uh, and, and try to move this thing forward. So we'll see what happens on that front, Matt. Anyway, uh, tonight we are all about looking at the team, who's coming back, what freshmen might be coming in that might impact the 2020 team. And we're going to start with the offense. Um, but the one thing, as I prepared for the show and looked at this thing in blanket fashion, is this roster still doesn't have a lot of elite players. You know, you've got Greg Rousseau, um, Brevin Jordan's on the fringe, and then there's everybody else. There's still not a lot of elite in this program with, without question. But there are a lot of very good players coming back next year that gives you hope that the 2020 season can be better than the 2019 season has been. And the one thing that also jumped out to me as I went through this to get ready was there's not a lot of openings this in this next cycle for kids that are in the recruiting class now that are going to sign here in another few weeks. There's not a lot of room for those guys to have any type of major role on this team. And this is the first time I can remember saying that in, I can't remember in, 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 it's been probably the whole 15 years, you know, we're so used to Matt, all these true freshmen coming in and playing all the time and, and way too many of them. Well, this year they've redshirted a lot of them and next year I don't see hardly any of them playing. So that's a positive. 
Yeah, I mean, the reason being they're just not graduating a lot of kids. And you're assuming well, they that built the roster. back will be starters. What's that? They've built the roster a little bit. Oh, yeah, they built the roster. Well, they built a young roster, yeah. So the question, the, the interesting question is, is it a really, really good young roster, or are there kids that are starting right now that maybe shouldn't be starting and that uh, a freshman can come in and be better than them? And is Miami open to the possibility of, you know, a player who's starting this year going to the bench next year and affecting team chemistry that way? Because I still, when you look up and down the roster, like you said, there's not a lot of NFL talent, and they need NFL talent on this team. So to me, you still have to take, whether it be transfers, Juco kids, freshmen coming in, regardless of, you know, if whoever, DJ Ivy and Al Blades, for instance, if they think they're coming back and they're going to be starting, you know, um, a new kid comes in who's better, they should be starting, regardless of this, these kids getting upset, you know. that That's going to be the key. That's how Miami always used to be, the best player plays. And I would argue that there are available openings on this roster for players to come in if they're good enough, because the team's not that good. Let's face it. I mean, they've beat, they've won however many in a row against, you know, pretty average teams. They've lost to some pretty bad teams. I don't think that Miami is by any means great and they need to be great. Um, and you need to get great recruits and, and that's the bottom line. So uh, I would say there is opportunities. I think Miami is selling that there's chances for opportunities, um, especially, you know, along the offensive line still, even with all five starters coming back, you know, they're trying to get guys, who can start, uh, especially a tackle, right tackle, for instance, move DJ Skate back to guard. Um, you know, it wouldn't shock me even if DJ Dallas leaves, if they give Don Chaney a chance to start a tailback, for instance. Tight end, obviously, it's not going to be the case. Um, but, you know, we're looking at offense. Like, that right there, you know, I would say, and, and obviously I think Jaron Williams will be the starter, uh, regardless of how Tyler Van Dyke does, uh, just because you have to start Jaron Williams after, after what we've seen when he gets time in the pocket to throw. Um, so, you know, it, it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if guys can push for starting jobs and if they will bench some of the guys who have played a lot this year. Well, when I look at the recruiting class, I don't see it. I, I'm, I'm to the eye test coming right out of the gate. I don't see a ton of elite on the, on the recruit list. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Obviously, I don't know if I'm right or wrong at this point, but um, it, it doesn't pass the wow test, in my opinion. And I've been talking all year on this show about the need for recruiting to get better. And you're absolutely right. They do need to get to the point right now where there are freshmen coming in that are better than what they're, pl- what, what they're playing with. And I, I said a few weeks ago when, when we were talking about it on this show that I thought that that should be the baseline for recruiting altogether. Like there's not a kid that should be being recruited into Miami from this point on that is not better than what Miami's playing with because it has been proven now in, in, in successive seasons, really going back 15 years, okay, and certainly the last couple years, that what Miami is playing with is not good enough, okay? It is not, not good enough. We, you could beat your head up against the wall all you want. It's not good enough. So Tyler Van Dyke, we'll start with the quarterbacks. If I'm recruiting you, are you better or going to be better relatively quickly than Jaron Williams. Very similar to what we saw at Clemson um, when Trevor Lawrence came and sent Kelly, Kelly Bryant to Missouri. Um, that's what you're going to know that the Miami football program is taking forward steps when you see something like that happen. Um, so let's start with the quarterbacks. Tyler Van Dyke, you know, we, we, we saw his, his film, nice looking prospect. Um, but Jaron Williams has solidified himself these last few games, I think, as the guy going into next year 
you know, with the way he did again in the pit game and then against Florida State when he threw for 313 yards with a pair of TDs. And then last weekend against Louisville, the record setting six touchdown passes. I mean, he has shown, like you said, that he can make accurate throws all over the field when he's protected. Um, so before we even get to Tyler Van Dyke, I think the first question that needs to be answered here is what does Nicozy Perry think about all of this? Okay, he did um, he did okay in the loss to Virginia Tech. Then he wasn't really that effective in the three starts that followed against Virginia, Georgia Tech, and Pittsburgh. And in the fourth quarter against Pitt, they had to bring Jaron Williams in to save the day, and he did, and he hasn't turned back since. So, um, you know, Perry's stats are okay. He's hit on 56.9% of his throws this year, eight touchdowns, two interceptions. But does he transfer or does he stay? What does Tate Martell do in a sim- with a similar question? Pretty obvious he's never playing quarterback at Miami. I don't think there's any question about that. Does he go back into the transfer portal? Um, so those two questions, I think, got to be answered first. And then Van Dyke comes in and injects himself into the, into the equation. And uh, Jaron Williams has three years of eligibility left going into next season. So I would say – and I'm curious on your opinion on this. If Tyler Van Dyke doesn't come in and by his second year beat out Jaron Williams, can this program take a forward step at the quarterback position? Well, if Jaron Williams is as good as he's looked the last few weeks, of course. You know, I mean, you know, Jaron has, has been very good when he has time to throw. You could see earlier in the year when the offensive line was just awful that you know, honestly, looking back now, it probably wasn't all Jaron Williams' fault. When he's got pressure, not a good pocket, he's not very good. But a lot of quarterbacks aren't, and he'll get better. He's really still basically a freshman when you think about it. I mean, he hasn't really played, um, uh, and he's a redshirt freshman as it is. So Tyler Van Dyke comes in, and um, and he'll, let's say, be behind Jaron Williams, learn from Jaron Williams. Well, isn't that the way it used to be for Miami, you know, where guys would start their final two years uh, of college. I mean, that's sort of been the way it was. And if, if the new college formula is the new guy has to come in and start within two years or he's going to transfer, then, you know, then all hell's going to break loose. And especially at a program like Miami, because it just seems like these high profile programs really have the most turbulence. Um, somehow, some way, you know, Miami has to have that culture of wait your turn, just like in the old days, and when it's your turn, you know, it's next man up. Like, that's what they always did. That's what they always said. And they have to all believe that. I do think Nicosi Perry will be gone next year. I do think Tate Martell will be gone next year. I don't think it matters. I think Tyler Van Dyke's going to be good. I think Jordan Williams is going to be good. I think he'll be just fine at quarterback. And, um, you know, we haven't mentioned uh, the freshman Peyton who came in also, um, you know, to be determined. But remember, Peyton and Tyler are the only two <laughs> Danny knows, you know, recruits. So yep. it's his first two quarterbacks he's taken. So you have to, you know, I, I personally think Danny Nose is an outstanding quarterbacks coach, offensive coordinator. And I, I have to think that he saw something he really liked in both these guys and they'll both be fine. Well, you know, it's interesting because, you know, a, f- a few weeks ago, we probably would have been sitting here saying Tyler Van Dyke must come in and be the answer. He's got to be the guy. It, it can't be Jaron and Ocosi. Uh We, you know, not too many weeks ago, I think everybody would, would have been, sharing that opinion not the case the way jaron williams has played the last couple weeks and um, what's going to have to get sorted out through the trash is whether how much the level of competition 
um, particularly against Louisville, um, played a part in how good Jaron looked. And can Jaron consistently play like that and, and build off of what he did in those couple games? Um, I'm a believer in Jaron Williams. I think he can. I don't know that, that he's a franchise quarterback uh, who's going to be a first-round draft pick or anything like that, but I think he could be an exceptionally good college quarterback, and I think you can win with Jaron Williams. And um, it's nice to see him get his act together here uh, the last couple weeks and, and maybe be a little bit more mature than he was even in the middle of the season this year. So um, that's a good sign. All right, let's move on to the running backs. And um, I would say question number one here revolves around DJ Dallas and his decision on whether or not to declare for the NFL draft. Um, the argument for him to go pro after the season, I would say, is that he just may not have that much more upside that he can you know, improve his NFL draft status. It, it really might just about be where it's going to be. He's averaging 6.1 yards a carry, has 643 yards on the season. He's caught 14 passes, 140 yards. He has 10 touchdowns, um, has just about everything that the pros covet. Um, he's got decent strength. He's a, he, he's a good blocker. He, he's got good enough speed, uh, instincts, receiving skills. Uh, you know, he's not great, so he's not going to be a first-round draft pick. But it's hard to poke a lot of holes in DJ's game. And um, right now it looks like he's projected as a third or fourth rounder. Uh, he's a young father who needs to support his family. So I think all signs, Matt, are pointing to a DJ Dallas departure. Your thoughts? I mean, I think he, you know, if I was him, I would go pro. But with that said, I mean, he's a huge Miami guy. You know, he was always wanted to be a Miami Hurricane. Uh, a degree is important to him. Um so there, there's, you know, a couple of factors that, that would make him want to stay. But I, I agree. There's, there's not a lot more he can do to, to prove himself to the NFL. He's got to make some money for, you know, for his young kid and his, and his new family. Um, and, you know, honestly, I think it might be better for Miami long-term if he does leave because, um, you know, if he stays, I'm not sure Lorenzo Lingard stays. And, um, you know, Lorenzo Lingard would be, would be looking at basically – being a redshirt junior until he can get some significant carries at DJ's back, assuming that, um, you know, Cam Harris keeps playing well. And that's also assuming that Don Chaney doesn't prove that he can be a major weapon. So, you know, I, 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 you know, you hate to say it's not that big a deal to have your top running back leave, but like to me, I, I wouldn't blink if DJ did go pro, I'd say, you know, Miami's just fine at running back. Well, that would uh, shift the focus to, to Cam Harris. And, I mean, he's done well, I would say, in his limit op opportunities the last two years. Uh, this year he's got 415 yards and 83 carries, four touchdowns. But we don't really have a feel for how good he really is, I don't think. And, you know, whether he can carry a running game through a season. Um, and it's already, in all honesty, been kind of average this year. I mean, DJ's got his 600 yards. He's got his six yards to carry. But it, it hasn't been a consistently good running game. I don't think, I mean, it's been maybe adequate. Uh, so I think that there's legitimate question whether Cam Harris himself can carry a running game. So then that would take us to Lorenzo Lingard, who obviously came in with the five-star status coming out of high school, all the accolades. We expect him to be really, really good. We think he can be really, really good, but he has not shown us a thing yet, really. Um, and I, I think 
I'm hoping he stays and doesn't hit the road and, and seek a, a little bit more comfortable landing spot. But assuming he does stay, I, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how he does in spring practice. Yeah. Uh, you know, we watched him in drills. He's, he's the most explosive running back, I think, out of the entire group, uh, even with his knee injury. I mean, even just when he gets a handoff, he, he just in routine drills, he just explodes. Um, you know, he's, a, he's the only real pure track guy on the roster. Uh, you know, he's a, he's a state champion runner, and he's a guy who can, when he gets through to the second level, just go all the way. And, uh, you know, not that Cam Harris is slow. He's not slow. Uh, and Cam Harris's numbers would be even better if not for a couple of long runs that were called back by penalties. But keep in mind when you're also saying, you know, the running game hasn't been that consistent or that good this year, the, the offensive line has just really not been good. And I think that's really affected the run game. I think the run game is actually a lot better than what it's been able to show because other teams, especially earlier in the year, were basically saying stop the run, don't really worry about the quarterback, especially when they thought Jaron couldn't throw deep. And, uh, and that's really affected the way Miami's been able to run. I, I think the running backs are very talented. I think that I think Cam Harris is an outstanding running back. I think Lorenzo Lingard will be also. And, you know, you look at Don Chaney coming in, um, you know, he's, he's, <laughs> he's got a lot going for him too. So uh, I, I really, again, I have no worries about that position at all. All right. Well, uh, you know, Don Chaney would be the next question, you know, and, and we can't answer that here tonight. I mean, we, we, we don't know what Don Chaney is going to look like against college competition until he gets here and, and, and goes against it. And, and we see what he can do. Uh, I think there's also a question of, of whether Robert Burns is going to stick in this program or head to the transfer portal. Um, he worked exceptionally hard in the off season and looked good in spring and fall practice, but has not gotten any burn at all. Uh, pardon the pun. And uh, I personally, if I were advising him or I, his parents or whatever, I, I would be taking a very hard look at the transfer portal. I don't think that the, the, um, that things look really good for him at Miami. Um, so Matt, you know, as we talk about the running backs, I think it's kind of similar to the quarterbacks. Like we know that Miami has good players, but can any of these guys become elite performers that can carry a team and a program to greater heights, the way that guys like Clinton Portis and Willis McGahee and Edger and James did. I'm not sure about that. And um, to me, that, is the big variable at the running back position and why recruiting as we continue to move forward is so significant at these spots. Yeah, I agree. And I would add that you mentioned those former great hurricanes. They were running behind offensive lines that were dominant. If this Miami hurricane offensive line was anywhere near those offensive lines, Miami would not have a loss right now we, we wouldn't be discussing anything other than them going to play Clemson in the uh in the coastal championship game in the uh, HC championship game they'd win the coastal so um you know you can say these backs were so great and whatever but it, it makes such a big difference in offense the offensive line you just can't run your offense without a, a really good offensive line Miami doesn't have a really good offensive line and, and what really scares me when you look to the future um, not just on offense, but on both sides of the ball. And, and you saw this with Mark Rick, and this was actually his downfall, in my opinion, if you really think about it, right? They win those 10 games in a row, and everything's great. And they, you know, they lose a couple of games at the end. They lose to, you know, to the bowl game also, and one of those was to Clemson also. And everyone in Miami, you know, all the coaches are like, okay, we don't need to change anything. We've got the formula. We've got this figured out. It's great. 
But the 10 wins really was a mirage. You know, a couple of them were close fought. They weren't really against great teams. And you worry about the same thing happening now because Manny Diaz started very poorly. Fans were already, you know, obviously on our message boards going crazy, calling for, you know, fire all the coaches and all that stuff. And now it looks like, oh, okay, you know, they got things figured out. You know, the players and the coaches are saying, oh, we had this meeting before the Pittsburgh game. Now everything's great again. But what have they really done? And what I worry is in the offseason, they're not going to recognize that they have problems because I do think they have major problems still on both sides of the ball uh, uh, from coaching on down in some positions. And I feel like they're just going to sidestep that again and just keep going the way it's been going. And the same thing that happened to Mark Rick is going to keep happening where it's just this mediocrity and maybe a little above mediocrity, but not greatness. And if Manny Davis doesn't take an honest evaluation and say, you know what, we really weren't as good as we think we are. And yeah, maybe they end the season on five straight wins or whatever it would be, in, including a bowl game. They still may need to have, they still may need to change two or three position coaches. They still may need to restructure the, the, the um, different things, you know, different personnel groupings and, and things like that and tweak this and tweak that and be honest and say, we didn't really beat anybody and we lost some bad teams and we need to change things. And I think that is the case. And I think that will be the case regardless of how the season ends. And I just worry that they're not going to change anything. And they're going to go into next year thinking everything's just fine and just basically do what they did this year and have a similar result where they're just barely scraping by and losing some average teams. You know, I so agree with you on this. And like, I even saw a, a, a TNM hashtag this week and I almost had a heart attack. Uh, It's like, you know, Keep your head down. You're going you're gonna to win your last five games. You're going to finish eight and four. You're going to get a decent bowl game and, and, and see how you do. It's going to happen. It doesn't change a damn thing in terms of what this program is really dealing with. And, like, to me, like, keep your head down. Lose the, the nonsense. No new Miami. No braggadocio tweets all off season. Um, boasting about things that you're going to be and what you're going to do. Keep your head down. Keep grinding. Keep the kids in the weight room working with Feely. Come back better, stronger, faster in August, and 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 try to build on what you're doing. Don't don't start thinking you fixed everything. If you have problems, they have not left in the last five weeks. Um, be honest about them, like you say, and address them. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. If Manny has the maturity as a head coach, I think is a good way to describe it because it's hard for guys that have never been head coaches before. And, you know, everybody makes fun of Nick Saban. Nothing's ever good enough. They go 11 and 0 and he's, he's changing coaches and this and that, whatever. That's why the guy's so great. That's why he's the best damn coach. Uh, and maybe, in, you know, it, it, well, certainly in modern day college, college football, it's because it's not good enough. And no matter how good you are, you can get better. And every, every day and every week is an opportunity to get better. Manny has to will himself to have that type of maturity as a head coach. Um, you did the marketing campaigns last year. I, un- I, you know, I understand why they did them. He, you know, the, the program was, it was absolutely down in the dumps over the way last season ended. And they felt like they had to prop it back up. But it it totally to, they totally crashed and burned with it. it. You know when you start at zero and two, when you're three and four, and you're losing to Carolina and Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech, 
Um, that's not any new Miami. And and they turned the, it became a punchline. This offseason, I don't want to see any of that. I, I want to see a, a focused organization that has its head down and is grinding it out in recruiting, is grinding it out in player development, in the weight room, and everything else, and just flat comes back in August, proving that it's better on the football field. And um, so I couldn't agree with you um, any more on that point than I do. All right, we're on to wide receivers, Matt. And, um, you know, I really think that the Canes have suffered this year from the lack of a true number one receiver. Um, I have not seen anything close to elite out there and everyone thought that Jeff Thomas would be that kind of guy I never did uh you know I don't see him as as a as a, an elite franchise type of performer he's just not consistent enough on and off the field but as we look towards next year that doesn't mean that Jeff Thomas isn't question number one and I think he is um and that question is will he return um do you see him coming back or do you think that he also will declare himself eligible for the National Football League even though he does not have the resume with 29 catches for 357 yards? I mean, it's a great question. I think, I think he'll leave. I just, I just, you just get the sense. He doesn't really love being in college. Doesn't really love having, you know, having to go through some of the stuff he's had to go through with leaving the program, being suspended from the program. I mean, if he came back, you know, who's to say there won't be another issue, you know, I mean, he can go start making some money. I think he's a superb talent. Um, good advice for him would be to come back. But I just, you know, just knowing Jeff, I'm not sure that happens. The the problem is these, these zebras, they don't change stripes. Look at Mark Walton as an example. I mean, how many damn times does the guy have to get arrested and, and get into trouble with, with the law? Uh, I mean, it, it is unbelievable. I mean, I mean, the Dolphins gave him an absolute parachute. He had two arrests with the Bengals. They turn them loose. The Dolphins pick them up. They say, Mark, we're going we're gonna to look past all that. We're going to give you another chance. And what happens? He can't even make it a, can't even make it a month, you know, or, you know, he's, he's in trouble again for beating up his, a, a girl that he got pregnant. I mean, it, it is just unbelievable. And, you know, it, it, it's a, these guys, for whatever reason, and I don't know what it is. I mean, I'm not a, a, a psychiatrist, but they just don't seem to, to ch- change stripes. So I agree with you that there is a better than even chance that if Jeff Thomas does come back, he finds some way to get suspended, some way to get in trouble, some way to negatively influence the 2020 Hurricanes. Um, you, could, you could probably almost go to the sports book in Vegas and bet on it. But, you know, hopefully that's not the case. But um, these things, just for some reason, the pattern never seems to change. Um, so, but – as a football player, I think things have been somewhat mixed um, for Jeff Thomas. And, and I think it's fairly safe to say that, that he is not a difference maker. He does have a place on this team if he can keep his act together, but I'm not going to call him a difference maker. So the next question uh, that I'm going to get to is whether Jeremiah Payton, who is, is redshirting this year, or one of the few true freshmen that I do think can make a big impact in 2020, and that's Michael Redding, the receiver out of IMG, are either or both of those two guys better than anything in the wide receiver room this year? I mean, I think D. Wiggins is going to become the go-to guy on this offense. I mean, <laughs> we were talking to him today. I mean, he just looks almost, you know, like on his way to being an NFL receiver just in terms of, 
tall, fast, getting, you know, he's starting to get built now. So 16 catches. Uh, I don't 16 care catches, catches this year, Matt. Had. Look at the, okay. Yeah, I agree last, with you. He's last, looked great on those few bombs the last couple of weeks. The last, but the whole the body of work, weeks, 16 yeah. catches. 16 catches. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, guess what? He wasn't on the field a lot before the last couple of weeks. So, I mean, you can't blame him for that. And he struggled with holding on to the ball last year. And you could point to Mark Pope, too. I mean, what I'm trying to say is this. You look, you know, Mark Pope is, is the guy that the DBs say, this guy is the hardest guy to cover on the team, but he's not in the field. You know, he just doesn't understand it. D. Wiggins flat out told us today, I just didn't understand the offense. And now he's finally understanding it. Look at the difference. You know, Mark Pope still doesn't understand the offense. I'm not sure he ever will. Um, Jeremiah Payton, I agree, is an excellent talent. But like the other guys, he's got to really know what he's doing out there. They're not going to throw anyone out there who's going to run a, the wrong way and wind up with an interception, you know. And you say Michael Redding. I mean, the last, I guess, there has been a history of really good freshmen, you know, from Amon Richards and, and, and et cetera, et cetera, that have, that have come in and done well. Um, but you could point to Michael Redding and, and say, okay, it'll be him. But again, you can't, with these guys, you just can't look at purely going on their high school film because until they get in here and you sort of see what they're understanding, what they're not doing, you know, um, on and off the field, their technique, their footwork, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You just, there's just like, a, you know, I almost laugh sometimes when people say, oh, yeah, this guy's going to be dominant from day one. Even when people are talking about Zion Nelson being, the, you know, the god at left tackle, you know, back when they named him the starter or whatever, when he came in and gained, you know, 50 pounds, I kept telling people, like, look, he's a true freshman left tackle. He's not going to do well. It just doesn't happen, you know, and it didn't happen, right? He's getting better, and he'll be really, really good. But people who said, you know, and, and you know who you are, because there's a lot of you who said he's going to be amazing at left tackle, you know, when, when he first sort of got in some, getting some publicity about starting all that stuff. I mean, it was just obvious. And the same with Michael Redding. He can look great in film, but it's just not often a true freshman comes in and, and, and is dominant. And I, I do think that D. Wiggins will be the main guy next year. And guess what? Mike Harley is, the lead, is going to be the leader. He is such a hardworking guy on the field. Coaches love him for it. And it's almost like the opposite of Jeff Thomas. You know, I keep hearing people telling me that Jeff Thomas walks through drills. Coaches don't call him out for it because, you know, how Jeff is. He sulks, and then he goes in the tank, and then, you know, he just doesn't uh, – he doesn't respond well. So, you have to – Jeff is a different kind of animal. Mike Harley, man, I mean, he will be a leader in that room, and they're going to put him on that field a lot next year, as, he, as he's already been this year, just because he keeps – he's like the glue that keeps it all together. He does everything right on and off the field. Uh, he's a role model. Uh, he's not the greatest player in the world, but he's good enough, you know. So I think Mike Harley, D. Wiggins will lead the group next year. I think Mark Pope will be the number three guy. I think Jeff Thomas leaves. And Michael Redding or some other freshman, great. They could be the number four guy. But optimally, you know, back in the day, you would actually redshirt your best players and play the ones you didn't think were that good because you want those redshirt guys to have an extra year to develop and possibly stay an extra year, you know. So I'm hoping they get back to that a little bit if they can. Jeff Thomas doesn't practice half as hard as Mike Harley, not even half as hard. And, you know, that's why Mike Harley finally is making such an impact this year um, because of how hard he works. And he's finally gotten to the point where he's, he can get open and, you know, he does, he's always had the speed, just never could get open. Uh, Well, this year he's got 34 catches, 447 yards. So he'll have a role that next year for sure. I agree with you that Wiggins is going to have a big role next year. Uh, We'll see if he can show up as a true number one guy, uh, I think he still has a lot to improve to, to prove in that regard. Pope has just got to keep progressing, man. It's, it's, it's going to be year three. Now I would have loved to see him get a red shirt year at some point, 
um, because it, it, things are just moving along too quickly for him when you consider the challenges that he's going through. Um, but I'm going to hold the same litmus test to the coaching staff that I did at the other positions, and I'm going to say that if Michael Redding is not better than the bulk of these guys that are on the roster right now, then why is he in the recruiting class? You know, uh, I think, you know, you've already got a bunch of guys, you know, you, you got to be able to go out and get elite performers. So I hope that Michael Redding is that we'll see. Um, but I think that the coaches and their evaluations are going to be put to the test there because they don't have a great receiver on the roster and um, they need one. And I hope that Michael Redding can come in and be what Amon Richards was um, a few years ago. And then in terms of the other true freshmen, I, I, it looks to me like I would think Xavier Restrepo ends up getting his first look at receiver as well. Um, I know Dan Enos likes him as a possession receiver. It'll be interesting to see if he can work in um, to the mix next year also. But, um, you know, I think that's a pretty good summation of the wide receiver position. Uh, tight ends, Matt, as stacked as a position can be with Brevin Jordan and Will Mallory back for their third season. Um, but I'm going to throw something out there. I think that they're making a mistake with Will Mallory. And I think that kid is way too good to be, to have way too small of an impact. And I think they need, I think they should redshirt him next year and then have two years of Will Mallory, um, as a primetime performer. Um, if he's so great in year three, then he'll go out. If not, he'll have a, a fourth year to come back and, 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 and get a lot of playing time because he's got four catches this year. I know two of them went for touchdowns, but he's invisible on this football team. And I, I know he's having to be, to block a lot and things like that, but let's face it. This is the Brevin Jordan show at tight end. Brevin has 35 catches for 495 yards. And that's not even beginning to scratch the surface of what he's really capable of because they've had to use him as a blocker quite a bit as well. So you've got Larry Hodges coming off the red shirt list. Um, you've got probably Palendi and Michael Irvin back next year. You've got Dom Mamorelli coming in, who also should red shirt. I would try to red shirt Will Mallory next year if I were the coaches. We'll see what happens. Um, but, you know, th th that's, that's what I would do. But I don't think we've got to spend a lot of time on tight end. Everybody knows it's a totally stacked spot, uh, probably the most stacked um, on the football team when you look at in terms of quality and, and the capabilities that they can bring to the table. So let's just move right past that and let's go to offensive line, Matt, which uh, obviously was the biggest issue on the team this year. Um, and I'm not so sure that it won't linger into next season. I mean, if you're looking at it with orange and green colored glasses, you're probably thinking the line has shown great improvement the last few weeks and it unquestionably has. But how much did the level of competition go down in those few weeks as well? Um, I'm not so sure about that. I think the line's going to be better next year. The question is, how much better? You've got the entire starting lineup coming back. You've got true freshman Jalen Rivers, who I think might have the capability to challenge Delone Scaife and Zion Nelson for playing time or certainly be able to maybe get into a ro rotation. I think John Campbell is getting good enough to continue to force a platoon at guard with Navon Donaldson, um, a given. But again, same thing as every other position. Where's the elite performer? Where's the, the, the first or second round draft pick? I'm not sure it's there. Um, so, you know, to me, the onus continues to be on recruiting. And beyond Jalen Rivers, 
I'm not sure I like what I'm seeing at the offensive line position. I would like to see them getting um, better players than what they're getting at such a great position to need. And you certainly cannot lose all three, well, two this year, one next year, of the recruitable offensive line prospects from South Florida. And, um, you know, John Dennis, he can't go to Oregon. Isaiah Walker can't go to Florida. Marcus Tate can't go to Clemson. Okay, you got to win at least two of the three. Um, so that that that's disappointing. Um, but the group has been also very blessed health-wise this season, Matt. And I would say a big premium through the spring, fall, and summer is going to be on finding some depth there, which they did not have this year. You know, can guys like Zelante Hillary, Zach Dykstra, Ausman Traor, Kayla Leon Herbert, can they become factors, or do they just flee to the transfer portal? What does redshirt Adam L. Gamel have to offer? Um, so what do you think, Matt? I mean, I'm just not assuming that everything's going to be okay here, that you know, it's necessarily going to be much better next season without question at all. Um, I think a lot's going to still depend on week-to-week matchups. Your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it won't be worse, but with that said, I mean, there's just so much to unpack here. It's such a problem position for Miami. They've, they've struggled for years recruiting on the offensive line. I don't see it any better with the current offensive line coach, unfortunately. The, look, Butch Barry, I think, is a great coach when he has the player in front of him and can work with the kid. I don't think he's a workhorse on the recruiting trail, and not a lot of offensive line coaches are. These are guys who like to be, you know, down and dirty in the trenches, and they don't like to just sort of help everybody, you know, like, like oh, you're going to be the greatest, you know, please come to my school. That's not what the offensive line coaches are about, and that is certainly not what Butch Barry is about. But with, with that said, here's my problem, okay? They identified Usman Traore and Tommy Kennedy as two guys who can come in and take scholarship spots from the class of 2020, Okay, keep that in mind. Take scholarship spots from potential offensive linemen that could come in this year or even next year if you want to leave one of those spots open, okay, or a transfer this year. They took spots on the roster of the 85 and took spots on the 25 limit. Those two kids are these coaches who saw them play in college, not in high school where it's a lot harder, okay? In high school in the offensive line, you, you have to project. You have to say, okay, we think we could put 40 pounds on him. He's still growing. He'll grow another couple of inches. Uh, you know, we'll teach him technique, he'll be fine, we'll take him, right? They're projecting. These two kids, Miami coaches took them, knowing they've already played, in one case, two years of college, junior college football. In the other case, three years of actual college football. They watched their film and they said, these are guys that we know can help us, and we're taking them, and we're bringing them in, and both are total duds. How does that happen? How does that happen on a, this bad of an offensive line? It's It's an unmitigated disaster, the fact that they took those two kids. It's a sign of the problems in the offensive line to me, and I don't care that these guys keep saying we're progressing, we're getting better, look how much better we are from the first game, we gave up 10 sacks. The line's not good, there's no depth. I don't care that they're all coming back and they're going to be a little bit better. It's not a good offensive line, and the, the sad thing is if they had a really good offensive line, like I said, they'd be undefeated right now, and next year they'd probably be undefeated. I mean, they'd be riding high. This is the problem, and they just don't seem to have an answer for how to fix it. I mean, how does Nathan Donaldson get worse? You know, like how does that even happen? Um, you know, the other guys. I think How's he allowed to gain Campbell. forty pounds and get out of shape? All right, let me finish my rant. John Campbell's terrible, also. Okay, these guys <laughs> are saying John Campbell's doing so great, and da 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 da. He's terrible. We've seen him 
in practice is just stand there and have defensive linemen go right around him. Like, I've never seen something like it. Zion Nelson somehow doesn't know when the snap is happening. I mean, how does that happen? Okay, I know he's a freshman, but, like, that's, like, pretty basic. And when we asked him what he's improved most on the other day, he says, oh, understanding when the snap's going to happen. That's basically what he said to us. Like, how does that happen? Right, but how about they're the just, last three weeks, Matt? How about the last three weeks? They, they have done better. They're better. They're better, but they're playing nobody's defenses. I mean, you know, put, put them against Alabama and Clemson. Let's see how many sacks they get. I mean, they won't be able to run the offense. In the spring, they had to literally stop practices and put the first-team offensive line in against the second-team defense just so they could run plays. I mean, they, they couldn't run plays with the first-team defense on the field. It, it, it's, the, the offensive line is, is, is still a disaster. They better not think it's fine. They need to do something and fast and figure out what, what needs to happen because it, it's, it's just there's no depth. I'm not, I just don't see it happening. This is not going to be a championship team if this offensive line just keeps coming back the way it is and gets these – you know, kids that aren't top-level kids that tackle and just, you know, and, and the way they're recruiting right now, they're handing out offers this late in the game to offensive linemen. Let me tell you something. They offered two Florida State offensive linemen, or not offered, but they started talking to them. As soon as Florida State fired Willie Taggart, they get on the phone, they talk to two Florida State offensive linemen who had never heard from Miami before that, okay? And then a week later, Miami's not talking to them anymore. Like, you should know Who's on your board? Who is good? Who you want? And you should be recruiting them the whole freaking time in the offensive line because this can't keep happening where they're coming in January and thank God they got Zion Nelson and whoever else because we screwed up in the offensive line in December recruiting and we weren't on guys long enough. They need to recruit these guys two years in advance, fan them hard all the time. I don't care if Butch Berry has to have two assistants constantly texting these offensive linemen around the country, but they need to find three to four high-quality offensive linemen every single class that aren't going to be named Zach Dystra, that aren't going to be named Delonte Hillary. I mean, you just go down the list. I mean, it, it's just not good right now. You know, and they take a commitment from a kid that they wind up not wanting because he has a bad senior year. Like, enough's enough, man. There's so many problems with the offensive line recruiting and the way the team is right now on the offensive line. I, I, I just can't even, you know, I could talk it's, for the next two hours. Is that how long we got you're, And you couldn't be more right. I mean, it's, it's, it's the worst I've ever seen at Miami. I've, I've been here 40-plus you know, 40 years. I've never seen it worse than what it is right now. It's, it, it's something that they, they need to obviously do something about. And, um, you know, that starts with Manny. And, I don't, you know, I don't know what the answer is. That's not, you know, that, 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 that's his responsibility. But uh, what's going on is not good enough. And, these, you know, you just went on a rant. Well, these are just the things that we're seeing. Like, we're, we're not seeing everything. I mean, you know, we're seeing certain things. And, you know, we're talking to kids and, you know, unfathomable that those three South Florida kids have all gotten away. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, but that's a whole nother, another subject conversation. Um, so, yeah, uh, certainly something that has to improve. Um, to wrap it up on O-line, I, I'm not convinced either that it's just going to magically uh, be fixed by the start of next season. So, you know, we'll see what happens there. All right, we're going to hit the pause button now. Matt and I have talked for an hour. Now it's your guys' turn to talk. We're going to do um, 30 minutes of rapid-fire phone calls. Um, I want the conversation to be to stick to the offense. Then Matt and I will do a breakdown of the defense, and then we'll do rapid-fire phone calls on the defense. And um, we'll, we'll do the defense, I think, a little quicker than we did the offense. Uh, so we'll get to plenty of your calls, but I want calls to stay to the point. 
I, I want you guys to to give your opinions quickly. Don't ramble on. We're gonna we're gonna see how many guys we can get on, and we'll clear the board and start over again for the next segment after defense. So uh, only hit the number one on your keypad right now. If you want to talk offense, I'm gonna start in the nine four one. You're live on Kane Sport Live. How you doing tonight? Hey Gary, I guess I did it again, huh? This is Mike. Hey, Kane. what's up, Mike Strickane? Yeah, beat Greg again. <laughs> y- yes, you did. Well, anyway, uh, well, anyway so I'll, talk to I'll us. stick to the point and keep, it, and, and keep it brief for you. All right, the question is, will DJ stay? I don't think he should, and I'll tell you why. Because I think Lingard needs to, needs to step up. He needs to show up this spring. You know, he just needs to step up. Where is he? What's he doing? You know, He's got to step up. He needs to show up. That's what I got to say. And as far as wide receiver goes, go go ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, okay. We've already agreed with we've already agreed with you on DJ. So go ahead. All right. And another thing you'll agree with me, I think, is that Mike Carley and D Wiggins are going to be the two biggest playmakers. Now, D Wiggins, he runs 23 miles an hour, like I said last week, and Mike Carley. Well, you guys are saying that he's been practicing harder than Jeff Thomas, that it's going to be Mike and D and Brevin. And I I agree on redshirting uh, Mallory. That might help because I think Brevin might leave next year. Your thoughts on oh, that? Oh, he's definitely out after next year. There's no doubt about it. All righty. Well, Gary, I'm going to leave you with that because I want some other guys to get on the – get on the phone and uh, have their thoughts. All right. So all right, Mike. Uh, all right. Take care. You, now, you got it, man. Yep. All right. Let's go to the eight, four, five. You're on Kane sport live. Yeah. Hey, Gary. How you doing? Hey, what's up, Greg? Hi, how, how you doing, doing this evening? Good. Okay. Um, let me ask you a question. You saw Joe Burrow up close and personal last year in game one, correct? Mm-hmm. Would you dream that he would win the Heisman Trophy this year? Nope. Great job by LSU. Like Great job by LSU. Give 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 Ed Orgeron mad credit. He went out and he he got himself better coaching, and you see the difference it makes. Okay. Jaron Williams has 16 touchdowns and three interceptions, all of them in one quarter. Jaron Williams is hardly the problem. The problem, like you've been saying, is the offensive line. It got, it's getting a little better, but until they get a better offensive line, they're not winning anything. They haven't, won a, they haven't had a legitimate NFL quarterback since Vinny Testaverde. You know what year that was? 1986. Okay? And how did they win games in the early 2000s? Ken Dorsey wasn't a great quarterback, was he? He was he was good. He wasn't great. Agree. So it's the offensive line. Then you mentioned the schedule. In 2021, we're playing Alabama, App State, and Michigan State. That's a pretty damn good schedule out of conference. Yes, me. Except except for one better? except for except for one thing, Alabama's in Atlanta. I agree with okay. you. Great game, but Michigan State will be at home, but that's it. 
So is, is Michigan State? App State's better than Miami right now. I understand. How many people are going to be in the stadium for the App State game? 45,000? 40,000? So how many games in the last 10 years have there been more than 45,000 for? But, Greg, here's the problem. Here's the problem. Florida State, Notre Dame. But how do you go to the next level as a program? If you don't have a game or two where you fill your stadium and you can bring in recruits and, and feel good about it. I agree with you, Gary. But, and there's people on the board saying we should avoid playing Clemson. We should avoid – let's play somebody good and see if we've, if we've improved at all. We're, we're, if us beating some scrub team in a bowl is not going to prove anything. You finish eight and four, it won't be a scrub team. If if you finish eight and four, you're gonna you're gonna you'll get you could get into the Orange Bowl, and uh, I think there'd be a great chance of that. And if not, I think you would get a decent opponent in like a place like Nashville, maybe like maybe you'd get Kentucky or something like that. Okay, last point. What happened with Fleming? Matt, you why don't you take that one? I mean, we've kind of known that was coming. What would you say on that, Matt? Yeah, did he I mean, drop him or did he drop us? Well, Miami's had uh, – Miami's new thing is, you know, if you take visits and if they're not really in love with you, they sort of fall out of love with you pretty darn quick. And he was looking around for sure. And it looks like Miami's going to get Warsham to commit on Friday. Um, so, you know, he became expendable. He also had, from what I've heard, I don't want to get into it, but he's had some off-field problems. I think Miami just didn't want to deal with it. And they didn't have to. And they got rid of him essentially. I don't. They don't want another not, Jeff Thomas. This was not him. This was not him decommitting from Miami. This was Miami as much decommitting from him. Okay. So right now, so are you guaranteeing Smith and and Riggins are not going to be in the class? Uh, guaranteeing? I would never guarantee anything in recruiting. Have you followed recruiting for a while? But. As of now, I would I, say, I say would you be, think they're not going to be in the class? Yeah, I do not think I do not think they will wind up in the class. I mean, no, Smith hasn't talked to coaches in over a month and a half. I don't understand why he still thinks he's committed. But you know, if you remember, right. I think it was two years. I think two years ago, <laughs> there was a kid on the commit list who didn't talk to coaches for months, and he like dis- I can't remember his name, unfortunately, but he disappeared. I think he moved to like another state, and nobody could track him down. And we couldn't right. remove him from the commit list because, you know, he thought he was still committed. Regardless, you know, Miami can't officially say, okay, he's no longer committed. Um, and then finally, like on signing day, we got a hold of the kid. And, and he's like, yeah, you know, I, I thought I'd be signing with Miami, but I guess not, you know. <laughs> so, like, it's, it's, there's such a disconnect sometimes. Kids don't understand when coaches stop talking to them. That, that's the coach's way of saying, you know, you need to move on and try to find something else. Um, that's just the way programs do it. I don't really understand why coaches don't just flat out tell kids we're no longer interested in you, but maybe that makes them angry. I don't know. So I'd rather the kid thinks, uh, Oh, you know what? If they're not showing me as much love, I'm going to go somewhere else. But whatever the case is, that's, that's what's going on right now with, with, with those two kids you mentioned, I don't expect them to stick in the class uh, unless some crazy miracle that I haven't seen covering recruiting for the last 30 years happens. Okay. If that's the case, we'll have 17 D commits and 18 commits. All right, thank you for the time. All right, and you guys, as I bring you on the show, um, if you do me a favor and just hit that one on your keypad so it takes you out of the queue, um, because, you know, we'll start the queue over again later. 
But, um, you know, I'm going to try to – if you want to get back on later and talk defense, I'll, I'll try to accommodate you. But um, for right now, if, you know, if you can get out of it, that's great. Let's go to the 865. You're on Kane Sport Live. Hey, Gary. It's James from Tennessee. How you doing, buddy? What's up, James? How you doing this evening? Oh, doing great, man. Great topics that you guys are talking about tonight, by the way, but I'll get to it real quick. Um, I, I like Jaron at the quarterback spot. Um, I don't know much about the Tyler Van Dyne guy other than what you've all spoken about, um, but uh, I, I agree with you all wholeheartedly. The recruiting has to get to the point where the next man up is better and is going to challenge somebody, regardless of what their age is. This, it's all about skill and if they buy in and if they can learn the play. And um, I think you all were talking about just a few minutes ago that um, Wiggins finally knows the offense, but Pope is having issues with that. And, and that's really, that, that really sucks to hear because coming out of high school, Pope was definitely the more highly regarded of the two. And so far on the field, Wiggins is, is showing me up because I wasn't impressed last year. And I know he was young and he was dropping balls, but he's making some great catches and watch me jinx him this week. But uh, I hope that, uh, I hope that he just keeps uh, he keeps it up because uh, we need him. And uh, the other thing um, is, is do you all, are you all optimistic though, that Pope is, is still on board and, and he's, he's, you know, wanting to make that next step. You think uh, that, that he could be a contributor next year. What do you all think? He, about that? He, he's got to be on board because if, if he had any doubts, I mean, watching his buddy Wiggins, his high school teammate, they're good friends watching Wiggins bust out here this year a little bit. I mean, that's got to scream at Mark Pope that what I'm doing is not good enough. It's, it's, it's not them. It's not the coaches. It's me. And, you know, you can't not know your plays. You know, you have to put the time in and, and make sure you know what you're supposed to do out on the field so that they have the confidence to throw you out there. So I got to believe Mark Pope is in. I, I don't think he runs to the transfer portal or anything like that. He should be in. If I were him, though, I, I would ask the coaches for a red shirt year. And I would I would just take a step back for a year, make sure I know the playbook inside and out, and then come back for two more years at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the line and, and be a stud. Um, I think the clock's moving too fast for him. I hear you. No, I hear you. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you guys, too, is um, here's a possibility that hasn't been raised, and I'm not trying to troll or anything when I say this, but is there a, what if, um, is there a possibility that Enos uh, comes, does come back, or is he not, does he leave for something else? The only reason I bring that up, Gary, and like I said, I'm not trying to start anything, and I want to stay on point with the offense, is, is that would that change some recruits that are committed now or future, or future down the line or something? You know, because you all spe- said that Enos handpicked these two guys, Peyton and, and Tyler Van Dyne. So I'm just curious about that, if that's a possibility, or in any of the position coaches for that matter. Um, on Enos, what I would say is nothing which would, would shock me. I don't think it would happen before signing day. Um, but – in no way, shape, or form do I see him as a guy that came to Miami to go eight and four or seven and five or deal with some of the personnel issues that they've had to deal with. Now, on offense, they should be past the worst of it. The the O line should be better. Like I said earlier, I'm not convinced they're going to be great, but they should be better. And you know, I don't think he has to just flee for anything he can get or whatever. He's paid very, very well here. Um, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere in the ballpark of, of 1.5 million. So, uh, you know, I, I, there's nothing there that would surprise me at all. Matt, you agree, disagree? 
Um, yeah, I don't think – the way it is now with the early signing search is different. Coaches don't leave generally um, until after that if they're going to leave at all. You know, and e- even when signing day was in February, sometimes they arrange for coaches not to <laughs> announce taking a new job until after that signing day. So I don't see it affecting this year's class. And as far as kids staying, you know, once a new coach comes in, typically they like the kids that are there because they need them and they make it work. So I, I don't think it's an issue at all if Enos does happen to leave, which I don't, you know, I don't think Enos is going to be here for a, a very long time personally. Uh, I think he's a very good coach, but I think he's a future head coach. Um, so, uh, you know, I don't know if that answers your question. No, no, it does. No, it, it, it's perfect. And, and here's the thing. I'm, I'm glad that he's changed the offense a little bit. I mean, I know one thing that everybody on the message boards or even on this show was pulling their hair about is these damn long developing plays that were taking too long, especially behind that atrocious offensive line. And they were atrocious. I mean, they have shown improvement. I'll give them credit. They played two better defensive lines in Florida State and, and uh, Pittsburgh. Uh, Louisville was obviously way overmatched. But the point of it is, is they have shown improvement. But the fact is, is that you're still losing in the recruiting battles like you all mentioned, and I don't see development. Now, I, I, I know Butch Berry's inheriting whatever he got from uh, Searles, who I thought was a complete joke of a coach, and, and I don't even understand how North Carolina's doing as good as they have done this year on offense with him, but he inherited players from a previous staff. But the point is, is that I feel that this offensive line, we cannot improve as an offense as a whole until they, in turn, get better. And guys make, and guys make strides. I'll tell you one thing you did say, Gary, earlier, is I, I have wanted to give credit to the strength and conditioning coach this year. Um, I still don't, but then, then I think about it. You did mention how did they let Navon Donaldson gain 40 or 50 pounds and look completely horrible out there. I mean, he just looks like he's not healthy out there and uh, can barely run. And it, it's, it, it, he should be ashamed of himself. He, he sent out a tweet at the beginning of the season saying best offensive lineman in America or something, and, and you were complete trash in that Florida Gator game. And, and you've been trash all season. I mean, and I don't like to talk about a kid, but when you put yourself out there like that, the truth, and, and you were a freshman All-American, and, or people were talking about you that you could be an All-American your freshman year, rather. Um, you know, he's been a complete no-show. He, he's, he's just been terrible. And, uh, and, so, and, and that has been like that for the offensive line. I do want to give credit to Gaynor and Hall. They've been a surprise, at least, um, for the most part, in the interior. But uh, but even then, they're still young and they're still trying to get experience. But until that offensive line gets better, this offense, no matter who you have running the ball or catching the passes, if they don't have time to do all that or the holes are not there, I mean, it, it's going to be the same old, same old. So I'm, I'm curious if Diaz, if, if like you said, he doesn't stay in a rut. He makes if, if there are some staff changes that need to be made, go for it. If he feels that it, it, it needs to stay, then you know, it, it's like you said, Saban has made those changes, but he. He's also coached at many different places, and this is not an on-the-job training thing, but I'm, I'm behind Manny. I hope that he at least doesn't put an ego in front of him, and if he needs to make the change to make this program better, that's the most important thing. Um, two more things real quick. Who were the two recruits that you just said uh, when you were talking to Gary a second ago that you didn't think would be a part of the class? Smith and Riggins. Smith and Riggins, okay. And the other thing is, is, are they looking at any receivers that are like 6'4", or 6'5", or anything like that? Just because I remember that we had like a plethora of them a few years ago when we had Hankerson, and, and uh, even I know they had Jimmy Graham playing tight end, but they had some really tall receivers back then. And nothing against the guys we have now, but I always feel like we need that tall guy, other than Brevin, 
that could maybe be an outside uh, guy that could make that big catch and so forth. So I didn't know if there was anybody that they were targeting in this class or next year's class or maybe even in the portal. And uh, like I said, guys, um, I'll, I'll hang up and, uh, and try to get in for the defense uh, for the next time. Thanks, guys. Yeah, well, I mean, Redding's a big receiver. Yeah, Redding's listed at six two, which means he'll probably be six four when he's in the actual roster. And and Kyron Lacy is a guy that they're chasing, uh, who's six, who's listed at six foot three. So I mean, he's also a tall, you know, a big tall possession receiver. But you're right, they they do like to go after some of the smaller, faster guys in general versus uh, these, you know, bigger possession types. You know, that's the Lawrence Cager type, so to speak. And Wiggins obviously gives you that as well. So. All right, let's go to the 706. You're on Kane Sport Live. Hey, Gary, how you doing? It's your boy, Sebastian, man. Good show. What's up, good, Sebastian? Good, Talk good, to good, us. Good Thank you, man. What you got? Okay. So what I got on the offense, uh, I wanted to say is, why do, why, why do you guys uh, talk so down about Cameron uh, Harris? I think he's an elite running back. I mean, I don't. You, you see a lot more than what I see, but I mean, he hits the holes real, real hard, and when he breaks uh, the run, let he, me stop you for a minute, Sebastian. Let me stop you for a okay. second. So, okay. you use that e word that you know to me is very overused. Uh, you know, I try to withhold it for guys that truly deserve it, like Greg Rousseau, who is who's proven to, to us with his twelve sacks. I, 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 he, okay, I, I, but but here's here, but here's the thing. Is DJ Dallas an elite running back? Is he going to get drafted in the first round or the second round? No. Okay. He is light and day ahead of Cam Harris right now. Don't pay any attention to what Kane's King has been saying on the message boards. Okay. Uh, DJ Dallas coming into the season was clearly the best running back on the roster. And he's not elite. Okay. Cam Harris if if he was elite, don't you think that he'd be getting more playing time? You know, uh, uh, yes and no. I think if you, I think you know, DJ Dallas is a good running back, and he's an upperclassman, and I think that's why you play him a lot. To me, I think if you put Cameron Harris on Wisconsin football team, I think you're talking about a Heisman Trophy uh, a candidate. I really do believe that. That's what I see. That's what I see with Cameron Harris. Wow. You can disagree with me if you want to, but I'm saying if you put Cameron Harris behind Wisconsin offensive line, he is all confident. I'm I'm really confident about that. I think he's at least that's, all confident in the Big Ten. That's saying a lot, man. That's the difference between when I say what I say on the offensive side, what we're missing. Uh, that's a, that's what I see, and so. We we talk about recruiting, and I understand what you're talking about. How recruiting needs to get better. You know, when Amon Richards got on the on our football team, he made our football teams like light and day better. I mean, light his freshman day. year, and, yep. and and you can see that. So 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 I, I I get the point in what you're saying in regards of we have to make the recruiting better and all that stuff. But I tell you something else. I think we need to make better too is we need to manage the roster better. We have to Maybe he's doing that. They are, they are managing the roster better. That, that, uh, managing the roster, to me, is the best thing that Manny's doing as head coach, by far. And, and, and so, so, when you, so, when you, so when you say that, you know, there's nothing you can do about your football schedule next year. There's nothing you can do about it. There's probably nothing you can do about your football schedule two years from now. But what you, the things you can do is manage your roster 
going to allow some of these players to stay, get in the program, become better practice players, let them get stronger, let them develop. I don't, you know, I look at, I know we talk about offense, but I look at Greg Rousseau, and I think he's benefited so much redshirting last year. And just to think, we still have him for two more years. Well, probably not. Well, maybe one. Maybe one more. Probably, probably, uh, probably one because of how because of how good he is. You know, because how good he is. But I think he's benefited. Well, I guess what I'm trying to make because I think he's benefited from being able to go there. So our recruiting class is going to be what it is. I don't see any earth shocking players and stuff like that. I'm not going to spend a lot of my time because I know you got a busy show and you want to get to the defense or whatever. But how better can we get utilizing the transfer portal? Because I see some players out there that I think that, you know, if they get added to our team, makes us a better football team. And that's all I say this week and just kind of keep me on hold. All right, Sebastian. I'm not sure they're going to have a lot of room for transfer portal this year. We'll see. Uh, let's go to the 214. 214, you're live on Kane Sport Live. Hey, Gary. It's Jake from St. Pete. What's up, Jake? Talk to us. What you got? Yeah, what uh, what's your thoughts on uh, ditching uh, Hickson at the end of the season? I know everyone's ragging on Barry. To me, it seems like we're uh, we're dead in the water in Broward, and that's his. Uh, you know, that, that's we are be his territory. But 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 he's got a chance to make amends if he can land Jalen Knighton. And, and that's there's a lot of effort going into that right now. Uh, Jalen Knighton and his parents were on campus, I believe it was yesterday. And um, Hickson is all in right now on Jalen Knighton. So if he can win on that one, I, I think he I think he buys himself, you know, an, another opportunity. I agree with you. Broward recruiting has been atrocious this year, absolutely atrocious. Um, the situation at St. Thomas is unacceptable. If you're the University of Miami, you cannot be irrelevant at St. Thomas Aquinas and That's, not have well, to. So you took the words out of my mouth. The follow-up question I had to that is uh, what, I mean, I, I think last week or the week before uh, one of the callers called in and was talking about, you know, like the deal at uh, St. Thomas and why they're scaring everyone away from Miami. But it seems like the top, well, three of the top four, we seem to have a pretty good aim in Chaminade uh, there, but, uh, American Heritage, Deer, Deerfield, and St. Thomas. But, you know, I, um, I was reading an article uh, about Jalen Knight. And, I mean, the coach, like, <laughs> was all but, like, saying, I don't want him to go there. He just, you know, I mean, yeah, he's being vague, but it's like, it just seemed like he didn't want him even thinking about Miami. And, like, what gives with that? I don't know what gives, but if you're Manny Diaz, that has to be unacceptable. Okay, yeah, and and I mean, and, you, and you better figure out what you're going to do about it. Otherwise, you can't. You know, it, this is not sustainable for Miami. Do you think like putting uh, field? You know, I mean, he seems to be a stud on the West Coast, and you hate to give up that pipeline. But if he could be a stud in Broward, I'd much rather him be a stud there than uh, you know chasing the whales over in the West Coast. You know, could they switch it up? Or do we have anyone? They can else do any. They can. They can do any. They can do anything. But you, you, you were spot on when you talked about Broward County because with the situation in Broward County, needs to be much better. Yeah. Uh, well, that's all I got. But yeah, I just uh, to me, I, I just don't see Hickson bringing a whole lot to the table. I mean, I, I don't think the running backs are doing any more. 
they're, they're both, I think Harris and uh, uh, DJ are, are really good running backs, not elite by any means, but I, I don't see them as being that much better than they were at the end of last season. And, uh, and the guy can't get it done in Broward. It's like, well, what do we got you here for? Yep. At least barely. All right, Jake. Say, uh, yep. So, all right. We'll Thanks, man. Talking, man. Yeah, thanks for calling in. Let's go to the uh, 973. You're on Kane Sport Live. Gary, Gary, and Matt. What's going on, guys? <laughs> What's up, Ross? <laughs> you like that one? I switched it up. I like that. Yeah, that, that was pretty good. All go right. ahead, shoot at us. What hey. you got? Hey, man, great show going on. But listen, guys, great points. You guys are making excellent points. But here's something I want to chime in on and add to it. Don't want to piggyback and add to this, man. Listen, we need better offensive line play, yes. We need better recruiting, yes. We need our coaches to do a better job recruiting. We need to get our our staff and everything together. But you know what we must get back to, Matt? I don't want you to talk on this, Matt. We must get back to speed. Speed, speed, <laughs> speed. Here's why. Here's why. We need to go get guys. Like, we're thinking about bringing the kid Knighton in. He doesn't have to play running back for us next year. He needs to be a guy. That if you look at Florida, they take a guy like they remember when they stole Brandon Powell from us and they put him as a kick returner, a punt returner, a scat back, all purpose. We need speed, 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 speed wide receivers, speed running backs. And Gary, I do agree that if 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 um Harris is on a better line, he will be an all all conference, whatever conference. He's that good. And remember, the line was a mess at the beginning of the year, so they went with guys who they felt like they could trust to pick up blitz, which is Dallas. They didn't want to trust Cam right away because you want, it was a little inexperienced. So they didn't want to go there. So you got to go with guys that you could trust that's been around it a little bit, and Dallas was that guy. So I didn't blame them for that because we was having trouble just keeping tight ends to chip blocks. So now everything is starting to come together. And they said, I don't care who we play, because guess what? If the offensive line wasn't playing well still, we'd still be criticizing it. So we just got to go ahead and give them credit for getting better. I don't care who we're playing. Because you don't hear none of these SEC schools and, and Big Ten schools when they're playing small guys. To, you, you don't hear them apologizing for beating up on these guys. And we shouldn't be apologizing for playing FIU this weekend either. Just so there's a, receiver, there's a receiver that's getting ready to commit at the end of the week, we're pretty sure. And I okay. heard this week that Alabama dropped him because he runs 4-7. Uh, um, so that's if that's re- if that's if that's really true, and he really runs four seven, and obviously Matt and I, we don't know that, uh, you know, that's and, not and speed. That's but not but if you speed. but but if you're recruiting them, you got to know that. And if it is true, I don't understand why they would take him. Well, look what happened to Dean. Dean was talking about going there. They dropped him, and he turned out to be not that good. So we, we got to hope that's not the case. But if they, I can't pronounce this one kid's name. But he transferred to um, Deerfield from St. Thomas. He's supposed to have a lot of speed, right? Restrepo? Yeah. Is he, is yeah, he, he supposed does. to have a lot of speed? He's got decent speed. Okay, I'll tell you who's got better time? speed better speed than him if you're looking for like a slot-type receiver. Is that kid at Cardinal Gibbons, Stiletto, who's blowing up for go. next year's class? That, that, kid, that kid's got a whole other gear. And Matt and Gary, when was the last time we have had a kick returner, a kick return, and a punt return in the same game. Just flat out speed. I mean, burning speed. 
We have not had that. I need speed all over the place. I need me another Benjamin. I need me another whoever. Go get speed. And, hey, let me throw something out there. You guys are not going to like it. But if Enos leaves, he's still going to get that $1 million from Michigan State, and he will be taking Van Dyke with him. I live in Jersey, guys, and he's a Connecticut kid, and I'm hearing buzz about that. I'm not calling it right here, but it's a possibility. I want to get back in on the defense end. Gary, you think Enos is going to get the head job at Michigan State? Is that what you're saying? Not the head. It doesn't have to be the head job. What I'm hearing is this, because I told you already I'm, all, I'm around that type of stuff. It's not job, but they, they like him down there and they would like to bring him back. Here's the thing why he might make that move. You said it yourself. He doesn't have to do much at Michigan State. He just got to show up and be good at court, teaching quarterbacks and everything else to fall in place and recruiting them. And then, he, you know, he might be the offensive corner, but what I'm saying, it's not going to be as hard as, it, as hard as Miami. Let's, God, let's admit it. We have so many other things going on. He didn't look so good at the beginning. Like I, I came on here and I told you, he's a better he's a better quarterback coach than he is an offensive player right now, offensive coordinator right now. And it turned out that he's getting better at that too. But Michigan State would take take him in a heartbeat, and I'm hearing the buzz for that. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but he's going to have to get a raise from Miami this day. It would be that. well. He's not going to get a raise. He's already the highest paid assistant coach in program history. Well, uh, but well, but, they won't but, but I mean, it would be a disaster, there. disaster for them to lose him right now. In my opinion, and that's spending. why we can't. And that's why we can't have Perry leave because guess guess what? Martell is not a quarterback, and we should never ever put him back on the field as a quarterback. So now we're gonna we're gonna rely on Peyton, and we're gonna rely on on, on if, if Perry leave and Peyton is our backup to um, Williams, then we're back at the same place that we shouldn't be. And it goes back to what Matt is saying. You've got to do a better job of managing everything. We just have to do a better job. I'm not being negative, guys. It's actually a great show. I'm just really making some good points. I'm letting you know what I'm hearing. It, we have to come up and pay him, or he might be going to Michigan State. I'm He's already being paid. He's already being paid. They're not going to – they're not ripping up paid, his contract. And, well, they're, there's no way they're not ripping him. up his contract and paying him more money. I can't believe they would okay. do that. He's already well, – he is by far – by far, and there's not even – I don't know a close second, the highest paid assistant coach in Miami history. So. Yeah, All right, Ross, you got anything else on offense real quick? I'm just telling you, watch out for that. Van Dyke and him going to Michigan State. No, nah, bring me back in for the defense end, man, because it's All right, you got a it. great show. I'm loving All right, man. Thanks, Ross. All right, uh, we're going to switch gears right now. Um if I didn't get to you yet, don't don't fear. Um, I'll be picking you up on the on, on the next cycle around. Uh, but Matt and I are going to uh, turn our attention here for a few minutes to the defense, which has kind of had mixed success this season. Let's be honest. I mean, there have been times I think when the Canes have been very very good on defense, and times when they've been you know very very bad, and uh, they've had some tough moments against you know North Carolina, which come to mind. Um, 42 points and an inability to make sudden change stops against Virginia Tech, which cost the Canes that game. Um, I know Jaron Williams had the three interceptions, but the defense could have uh, could have stopped them too and and held them to a lower point total. Um, the inability to stop the run against Georgia Tech, 191 yards of offense in the first quarter against Louisville. So. It hasn't been all hunky-dory on the defensive side of the ball this year, for sure. And um, now we're looking at 2020. You're going to be removing Shaq Quarterman. You're going to be removing Mike Pinckney. There's some chatter that John Garvin, even though he's had a pedestrian season this year, is still 
possibly going to turn pro. So, you know, it's the challenges are not going away going into next season. Um, let's put it that way. So um, let's take a closer look, um, starting with the defensive line. Obviously, there seems to be an awful lot of talent on the D-line um, when you factor in that they're led by the one guy on the roster that warrants that elite title, and that is Greg Rousseau. Um, he has 12 sacks so far this season, 15 and a half tackles for losses. But here's the thing going into next year. Everyone knows about him now. Okay, He is going to be the focal point of every game plan next season. How's he going to respond to that? Uh, you know, I just talked about Garvin's pedestrian stats this year. Well, Garvin was was, was in that situation coming into, into this year. Um, was the perceived top defensive end coming back. He has three sacks and four and a half tackles for loss so far this season. Rousseau has 12 sacks and 15.5 tackles for losses. Chew on that for a minute, okay? Um, so going into next year, for me, a big key is Jalen Phillips. He's the transfer from UCLA, was one of the top recruits in the country coming out of high school, and was on his way to a great career at UCLA when he started having concussion issues. If he can get cleared and stay healthy, he could help form another quality end rotation next year with Rousseau, uh, the decent chance Scott Patchen comes back, and then probably redshirt freshman Jafari Harvey would factor in there. Um, at tackle, you got to be encouraged with the progress you've seen the past few weeks from Nesta Silvera and even Jordan Miller, um, who have shown that the, to go along with a steady John Ford at tackle, that it can be serviceable. There's, I'm not sure there's a great guy there, just like every other position on the team, but they're certainly serviceable um, at defensive tackle. Um, would like to see the sack totals a little higher than what they are. Ford has two and a half this year. Miller has two and a half tackles for loss. Silvera, one sack. Would like to see those get a little better. But Matt, when you look at those defensive linemen that are going to be the frontline performers next year, it should certainly be solid enough for the ACC Coastal Competition. Yeah, I mean, I don't think the defensive line is, is going to miss a beat, you know, losing, uh, you know, Trayvon Hill and, and Pat Bessel. I mean, the rotation is still going to be excellent. I think um, guys you haven't seen yet, like uh, Jafari Harvey, you know, this, this spring coaches were so impressed with Jafari Harvey. They were talking about having him uh, be in the role of, of, of third down pass rusher, you know. Um, it just so happened that there's so much <laughs> talent at defensive end, they just didn't need him. But, I mean, he, he could play right now at a bunch of ACC programs. He's really, really good. Um, you mentioned, you know, there's, there's the, the defensive – the redshirt freshman defensive tackles, three of them. Well, there'll be redshirt freshmen next year that will help in that rotation. Uh, the guys who are coming back, the, the John Ford, uh, Jordan Miller's a tackle, uh, Nessa Silvera a tackle. Those guys will be a year older, a year better. Gregory Rousseau is going to be unstoppable. I don't care if they triple team. I mean, the guy is just a freak. Uh, the defensive line is going to be outstanding. There, there's no doubt in my mind that's not even a, a, a consideration or a, a, a worry thought because not only is there really good top-end talent, there's good depth all across the line. It's going to be an outstanding, outstanding defensive front. It, uh, to me, it's a, a national championship caliber defensive front, quite honestly. With, with only one elite guy? I mean, it, it, it's not yeah. what Clemson had last year. No, but Clemson listen, had three. Clemson it's, it's had, not, I think, not, three elite guys. So, yeah, yeah but is yeah, national but listen, championship a little, Miami, a little, a little too much? Well, 
Yeah, maybe. If 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 your name's Gary Furman, maybe. If your name's Matt Shadell, maybe not. <laughs> to me, to me, the reason why it's a championship caliber defense is because I don't think they need three first or second round NFL guys because they have the depth um, and the overall talent where these guys can go 110% every single rep, you know, which is what they're starting to do this year, um, especially the last few games, you can really see it, where when they're in there, you better go 110% or they'll take you out and put the next guy. Whereas in, in, in past years at uh, Miami's defense line, although it's been good, they haven't been able to do that because they've had guys playing 80% of the snaps that are starting. So uh, given the depth, given the talent, given the young talent, um, you know, they're bringing in more signees that could help out too if needed. Uh, I just think that it, it is a championship level defense. I really do. I, I think because of the rotation, because of the level of talent overall, not just one guy, uh, that, that it's going to be a very, very difficult defense for any offensive line to deal with. Are you saying defense or defensive line championship level? I don't know about defensive line. I thought we were talking about defensive line. Okay. Defensive we are. Line. We are. Yeah, we think, are. I don't think we are. Is. I just wanted to I clarify. I, I just yeah, wanted to clarify. Is, this defensive line is the strength of the team next year. I don't care about tight ends or whatever. I mean, the defensive line is going to be amazing next year, period. All right. And, and you know, you mentioned the young kids. There's three of them. Uh, Jason Blissett. Jared Harrison Hunte and uh, Jalar Holly. Uh, coaches love all three of them. It's going to be very interesting to watch them in spring practice and see where they are after a year of development, which to me, like I said earlier in the show, is the most outstanding thing I've seen out of Manny Diaz this year, that he had the foresight to not play these young kids a couple plays here, a couple plays there, and blow their redshirt ears. They're all redshirting. They're all being developed properly, and it'll be interesting to see if any of them can factor into any rotations or anything next year. Um, but at least their careers are being managed in the right way, which we have not been able to say about linemen at Miami in a very long time, um, you know, as, as a blanket statement. Um, so that's a really good thing. I think Cam Williams is another redshirt freshman who – has some promise as a defensive end. Um, and then the, they're still – it's not stopping them from recruiting defensive linemen in this year's recruiting class. Um, a guy that I really like a lot that I think has got a lot of ability is uh, Chance Williams, um, who's coming in um, from Oakleaf. And uh, Willie Moyes is a big defensive tackle. Elijah Roberts is a defensive end who's probably going to grow into a defensive tackle. Um, and then a, a, another guy that, that is in the class is a guy named Quinton Williams um, – so, you know, we'll see what they bring to the table when they get on campus. Uh, but loading up on defensive linemen, building the position, it's, it, you know, managing the careers properly, without question, one of the success stories of year one of Manny Diaz, in, in, in my opinion. All right, linebackers. Now, if Zach McLeod had not decided to redshirt this year and return in 2020 – I think you would hear Matt and I sounding sirens right now uh, like you've never heard before because there would be no experienced players coming back at linebacker. M McLeod makes it a little bit better, and here's why I'm saying a little bit. It's, you know, he's a guy with 138 career tackles, but you do have to acknowledge one thing. He was Miami's third best linebacker this year, unquestioned. Shaq and Pinckney were number one and number two. So McLeod was number three, and great move redshirting him. You're going to love the fact that they did and that he's back next year because he's going to have to be the anchor of the middle of the defense. 
However, he was your number three guy this year. So if you think that Shaq and Pinckney leaving is not going to be missed in a very, very big way, um, I think you're kidding yourself. And they're also losing their best striker, Romeo Finley. So just like you had a situation this year at offensive line, I think you've got a situation very similar next year at linebacker. And it's going to be extremely interesting to see how it comes together because that right there could end up being a big barometer um, in how many games the Canes win next year, just like the offensive line situation was a barometer in how many games they won this year. Like Matt said earlier in the show, if the offensive line was better this year, you're looking at probably a 10-win football team this year. At worst, nine. Instead, it's going to be eight. So that's the kind of difference that that can make. Um, all right, so who plays with McLeod is, is pretty much wide open. I mean, it, it, the competition looks like it's going to be between Sam Brooks, Avery Huff, and Patrick Joyner. And um, neither one has any kind of resume at all. Huff is a real athletic kid. Uh, might take him a year to get it. You know, and also develop physically. He's kind of thin, but I personally think he can be really, really good. He's got a lot, of, like just like freakish athletic ability. And once he learns what he's doing, he should be excellent. Um, you know, we'll see how Brooks and, and, and Jordan come along, and we'll also be watching to see if B.J. Jennings and Wayne and Steed can return from the injury list. Um, that's kind of an unknown right now. And then there's a group of freshmen who are going to come in and look to very quickly enter the mix. In uh, Tyreek Austin Cave, Corey Flagg, Romello Height, A.J. Mathis. They're all three-star prospects. None of them is considered an elite high school player. Let's, let's be honest. Um, Miami is probably, unless one of them flashes really quick, probably recruiting from the second tier there and, and is going to have to develop those guys and see where it goes. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. And then you're going you're to have Gilbert Frierson uh, probably take the reins at the important uh, striker position. So... Matt, can Zach McLeod rise to the occasion? Can the Canes overcome the total lack of experience around him? <laughs> uh, you forgot to mention how Justin Flo is going to save the day. What happened to that? <laughs> Let me tell you something. Anyway, if they get yeah. him, he will walk in day that. one and start from the second he gets on campus. I mean, that's, that's what Miami used to do. Like, listen, when – you know, you mentioned Shaq, Mike Pickney, and, and McLeod. Well, remember, they all started as true freshmen, right? I, I could totally see that happening again. I haven't been blown away by any of these linebackers that are coming back, including Gil Flyers and the striker. I just haven't been. I mean, they're all okay. They're all good. They're not great. So I would give these four, probably five at the end of the day, I think they have one more commitment uh, signee at linebacker. I would give those guys, I would take the best three out of those five and just start them and see what happens, man. You know, uh, I, I already know pretty much what they have. I, I think Avery Huff can be good. I think Sam Brooks can be good. Uh, I haven't seen anything yet to indicate that they're going to be great. You know, Sam Brooks seems like just not quite physical enough right now. He's got speed and everything. Uh, so we'll see how he progresses this offseason. But uh, I would love to see these freshmen come in and compete and, and show they should start. Because to me, what they have right now coming back isn't championship level, and I'm hoping what they have coming in will be. You know, that's what they need. All right, let's uh, talk about the DBs now real quick. Um, so when I think about the defense this year, the, the thing that has really kind of amazed me is that the opponents really have not either had the capability or the inclinations to challenge the Canes where they probably were most susceptible coming into the year, and that's pass coverage. 
North Carolina exploited it. Central Michigan certainly did. But that's really about it. So um, what does it mean going into next year? I think it means that we don't really know, Matt, if the Canes are strong on pass defense or not. You got Bandy coming back, Al Blades coming back, DJ Ivy coming back at corner. Gervin Hall coming back, Bubba Bolden coming back, Amari Carter coming back at the safety position. That's six starter-level guys from this year all back. Um, you got the Corey Couch and Keontra Smith, cornerback and safety, who will you know, presumably be ready to, to enter the mix, maybe even Christian Williams, too. So you got a lot of bodies at DB. A lot of guys have played a lot of football this year. I don't think that they were that severely tested. And I think that when they were, Matt, they didn't always hold up so great. Well, I'll, I'll say this, okay? I, I know a lot of Kane Sport uh, fans don't like Mike Rumpf. And I don't disagree. I don't think he's a great recruiter. But let me tell you, man, he he makes lemonade out of lemons, if that's an expression. I mean, I don't want to call any of these guys lemons. But he gets cornerbacks that come in here, and somehow he makes it work. Like, every year I think the secondary is going to fall apart because of cornerback. And somehow these guys are taught the techniques and the skills. And if they're not like Javante Dean, they won't play. You know, he – he, he knows which guys can do it and which guys can't. He puts them in the right matchups and games. Um, and, and, yeah, have guys run free at times in the secondary? Sure. There have been some horrible instances of, of really bad coverage, like against North Carolina and that fourth down situation, of course. But, like, overall, it's not a, a terrible-looking cornerback group like I thought it would be. You know, I thought safety would be okay, and I thought cornerback was going to be a real problem this year. And it has not been anywhere near as bad as I thought it would be. And, that's, that, you know, I do credit Mike Rump for that. You know, as much as fans might want to say, oh, he's horrible, fire him, whatever. Like, you got to give credit where credit's due. You know, Trajan Bandy was a guy um, who really wasn't highly coveted because of his size. And, uh, you know, Miami's turned him to this physical corner, and they put him in this press situations where he can thrive, and they're letting him do what he does well. Um, you know, you look at Al Blades. When he came in, Gary, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Sugarcoat this. Neither, of us, neither of us thought Al Blades was going to pan out at Miami and, and was not a Miami-caliber player. Mike Rump, in two-plus years, has turned Al Blades into a really good cornerback. I mean, his last three starts he's had, he's looked great. He's ranked second in the country in passer rating against. Uh, you know, there's a reason for that. You know, DJ Ivey has not looked great, uh, which actually surprised me a little bit. I thought he'd be better than he is right now. But, again, you know, I'm sure that <laughs> I'm sure they're going to find a way to make him work as well because that's what they seem to do. Uh, Kristen Williams to Corey Couch, you know, neither of those guys have stood out to me. To Corey Couch still needs to gain a ton of weight. Kristen Williams, I'm surprised he hasn't been able to get a little bit more burn on defense. He just hasn't really looked the part. Um, and, and, you know, looking at the next year, they'll bring in some more cornerbacks, which they desperately need, because there's not a lot of depth there, obviously. And at safety, they'll be fine. You know, Bubba, Bell, Bubba Bolden's going to be healthy. You got Amari Carter coming back. You got Gervin Hall, who I, I thought would be a lot better. You know, he's good, but not great. I thought he'd be great. So he's still got some upside uh, to reach there. And then, again, some younger players. So I think the secondary is fine. We, we talked about linebacker before. I think that's really going to be the big issue, which is why I'm saying if they can get some answers from these true freshmen coming in like they did four years ago uh, with Shaq, Pickney, and McLeod, this defense should really, really dominate all the way across all levels to me. I, re- I really think that could be the case if they get some answers at, at linebacker. I'm, I'm not at all as worried at cornerback as I was entering this year looking ahead. If that makes sense. 
All right, so that's a breakdown of the defense, and we're going to get back to your calls here in a second, and uh, and we'll we'll talk defense, and if if anybody wants to chime back in about offense, that that'll be fine. But I got to take a minute here to educate Matt a little bit on some food, and uh, Matt likes to eat good stuff. He uh, this is a guy that goes out on a boat into Biscayne Bay and catches his own stone crabs. Okay, he doesn't mess around with Joe's. And, and any of that kind of stuff. He goes, he catches his own stone crabs, he races home, he dumps them in a pot, and he eats the freshest, best stone crabs that anybody will ever eat, okay? So that's Matt, all right? But why shouldn't it be the same when he goes to eat Italian food? And um, so I'm going to take a second here and tell Matt about one of my favorite restaurants in all of South Florida. Matt, they have six locations. So no matter where, where you go and you're driving around, um, you can usually find one of them, and that is Sicilian Oven. And uh, a million places you can go get pizza or Italian food, Matt, you know, Domino's, Little Caesars, there's a million of them um, all, all throughout South Florida and, and really everywhere else. But um, there is nothing quite like Sicilian Oven, which is one of the best and rapidly expanding dining concepts in all of South Florida. Um, the closest one to me that I go to all the time is the plantation location. Uh, Matt, I know you spent a lot of time at Aventura, a uh, great Aventura location uh, right there on um, Biscayne and 205th. Uh, so next time you're in Aventura, pop on in there and, and get yourself lunch at, at Sicilian Oven and um, you will not be sorry because at Sicilian Oven, they offer a new way of dining with a philosophy based on the best ingredients and flavor combinations mixed into a carefully designed menu. And uh, many of their recipes have been handed down from generations through the DeSalvo and Garavuso families. And that means that you get that real down-to-earth, um, just really rich, great uh, uh, Italian sauce um, that they use in, in their on their pizzas and in their pasta dishes and the other Italian dishes. Um, it's really what makes that home cooked Italian feel so special. And um, it all does begin with their pizzas. Um, you know, the classic pizzas, which have your more traditional toppings. And then it expands to gourmet and select pizza combinations that are far removed from what you will find at the nearest pizza joint on, um, on the next corner. Um, you love wings. Sicilian ovens, wood-fired rings are marinated for 24 hours in Italian herbs and spices and served with caramelized onions. And uh, they also offer a, a wide array of Italian specialty dishes uh, from eggplant to mussels to fire-roasted shrimp palermo. They have soups, sandwiches, salads, pasta dishes. No matter what your taste, no matter what you feel like eating at any time of the day, you will find something great at Sicilian Oven with six locations throughout South Florida. Uh, there's that plantation location at the Fountains Complex off University Drive, that Aventura location, 205th at Biscayne. You got the Lighthouse Point location at the shops at Beacon Light, where they just improved their outdoor dining area. It's really neat. Um, you got the Coral Springs location on Sample Road and 101st, the Boca Raton location, and that Oakland Park Boulevard just west of Bayview location in Fort Lauderdale that has a full liquor bar. So get on over to your nearest Sicilian Oven restaurant and get ready to experience the next level in casual Italian dining. 
You can visit SicilianOven.com to find the nearest location to you. It's Sicilian Oven and SicilianOven.com. You will not only love the taste, you will taste the love. And uh, obviously highly recommend it. And uh, Matt, take me up on that. I'm telling you, Sicilian Oven is where it's at. And, uh, yeah, well, it would have been nice if you bought me some. I instead I had to waste three hours out on Biscayne Bay today. <laughs> yeah, well, um, yeah, maybe maybe we'll figure out a way to send some Sicilian oven down to you next week instead, so you don't have to go, go fishing. All right, let's get back <laughs> to those phone calls now. Five six three nine 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 three six three three five six three nine 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 three six three three is the number. Uh, hit the number one on your keypad if you want to come on the show. We're picking up where we left off, and then we'll circle back. Let's go to the 916. You're live on Kane Sport Live. Gary, how you doing, man? Doing great. Who's this? Hey, man, it's Roland from New Orleans. Hey, what's up, Roland? What you got for us tonight? What's up, man? I got a, uh, just wondering, uh, uh, from a recruiting standpoint, from a, uh, from a redundant uh, O-line, D-line, um, from from what you're saying, from uh, Manny Diaz, are they uh, really emphasizing on bringing in more depth on the offensive line and um, and D line? And I think they also probably need to emphasize on bringing bringing in uh, linebackers because uh, this transfer portal and all these JUCO guys. I mean, you got to start to develop these young guys, these freshmen, redshirt guys. So. When is it going to get to a point where they establish that? Well, I I don't know. I I don't like what I'm seeing at O line recruiting at all. Matt, why don't you um why don't you take take that and run with it a little bit here and uh, talk about the O line recruiting some of the new guys that have come on the list here recently and um you know we already mentioned Antonio Smith is probably going to drop off almost definitely going to drop off the commit list. Um, I think that's a positive. Uh, I don't think that the commit list is good enough. I think they need to somehow find a way to upgrade the recruiting that's going on at offensive line. Um, so, Matt, why don't you just run with that for a minute and talk a little bit about offensive line recruiting? Yeah, sure. And you mentioned defensive line, too. I mean, defensive line, I do think they're getting the depth coming in that they need. They have six commitments already. Uh, one, like we mentioned, Reagan is probably going to drop off. So that would leave you at five. They have another kid there on Jalen Harrell, J-A-Y-L-E-N, not the J-A-L. Harold, who's at DB, who's likely to come here. Um, the DB likely to come here, not the defensive end. Um, the defensive end is a chance, though. So, anyway, the offensive line recruiting is not, not you know, I'm not optimistic on it at all, as I touched on earlier. Uh, as Gary mentioned, you know, Smith likely to be dropped. They have commitments from Jalen Rivers, who I think is going to be real good. And a kid named Chris Washington out of Tennessee, who's good also, um, wasn't that highly recruited. Um, by other top programs. Uh, so we'll see where that one leads. And then, like I mentioned earlier also, they, they just are scrambling now. You know, there's only uh, about a month and a day left until uh, the early signing day. And a year ago, they were sort of left trying to find new guys at offensive line afterwards. That's when they picked up Zion, for instance. And I think the same thing's going to happen this year, unfortunately. Like, they're trying to get some guys in late now who they just started recruiting in the last month or two. Uh, but a lot of them already committed elsewhere. Like, you know, the Chris Morris, they're trying to get him. Uh, he's, he's setting up a visit for December 13th. He's committed to Texas A&M. Marlon Martinez uh, is considering taking a visit. He's committed to LSU. Uh, Kobe Baines, a guy who's, uh, I believe, going to visit December 6th. 
Uh, he's a, a Louisville commitment. Um, and then this R.J. Adams kid's a long shot. He's already visited once. He's possibly going to visit again. My indications right now are that he won't visit, but they're still talking to him, so we'll see. He's a former Penn State commitment. And then an intriguing guy, you know, I don't know, those of you that follow football, uh, Miami football for a long time, you know that Miami's gotten some good offense linemen out of Canada, uh, Shirko Hajirazuli and Brent Romberg and a bunch of others. And they started talking to this kid, Justin Stevens from Ontario. Um, but he's not, he's like sort of getting more interest from some bigger programs now, like Syracuse has offered recently, for instance. Uh, but again, he's committed elsewhere, but it's Eastern Michigan. So these are the kinds of kids Miami's trying to grab now, you know, the Eastern Michigan commitments, right? Because at this point, when you reach out to a kid a month before signing day and say, oh, you know, we, we'd like to have you at Miami. Well, these kids nowadays, it's not like, oh, okay, great. You know, I'm going to come visit and maybe I'll like it and I'll go there. No, it's like, well, you know, so-and-so's been recruiting me for a year and a half or two years. It's just hard to get in with these kids when you're recruiting this late. And that's the problem in the offensive line right now. They're just, they're just struggling. And Garen, one for both of you guys, one last question. Um, as far as um, rec- recruiting coordinators, um, you think Miami will bring a couple guys in uh, to really dig deep into, uh, um, obviously outside of Florida, to really you know have more of an emphasis of really getting guys uh, and really identifying the, the proper kids that really fit the scheme and and to to, to you know, depth, because when you look at the guys that's graduating this year, it's almost like it's been a cycle over the last four or five years. You have those, you have that senior class that graduates, then the next class that comes in, they're all freshmen. And then those, it's just, it's not, it's not flowing. You never, it seems like you never had that red shirt guy, red shirt freshman, or, or a red shirt sophomore. It's just either guys falling out of program, transferring out, and it's just uh, it's kind of it's very frustrating, you know, as a fan because you know you definitely support the team through the ups and downs. But you look at Lawrence Cager at Georgia, and just to see how he's playing. I mean, he didn't play like that at Miami. And I'm just wondering what when you look at a Lawrence Cager and see how productive he is at the University of Georgia, and then you see him at Miami, and you see how aggressive he is and how the durability, I mean, I, I mean, that has to go back to, I mean, that goes to coaching. So I just want to get you guys' opinion on, you know, still two topics, and I'll just hang on and listen, listen and whatnot. Good, Matt. Well, I was actually reading the message board. What, uh, what was the, uh, what was exactly the question there? Roland, say it again. Yeah, I was just saying about uh, rec- rec- recruiting coordinators. Are they are they going to look to uh, bring uh, more guys on staff? Yeah, we don't know. We don't know on that front. We we don't know what moves okay. Manny's going to make or not make. I I, I mean, okay. I, I do think that they need to fortify the recruiting operation. Um, you know, they 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 brought in a, a guy to head it up from Arizona, and okay. um. You know, I'm not sure that what's going on is good enough. You know, I, I think you know, I think Manny's got to make some some decisions there. And you so know, man, quick, he's going to. One last question: what, what about when you look at somebody like Lawrence Cager, and you look at him at Georgia and see how aggressive and how assertive he yeah. is? Yeah. 
I, mean, you, I can't believe they let him out of the building. Eyes. One of the biggest fails saying, of this year, in my opinion. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you look at somebody like that. That's like, he's the go-to guy at Georgia, and he was. I mean, when he was at Miami, it, is it development? Is it? What, I mean, what is it? It's got to be coaching. Oh, it's, so, it's 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 give it's giving up too quick on a guy coach. like he he. What'd you say? I was saying that's a previous coaching staff anyway. So yeah, but it, but you're right. They did they did not do a, a good job. They gave up too quick on him. He dropped a few balls last year, but yeah, I mean you, you could see the talent. Yeah. I mean, yeah. every I got several calls on Lawrence Cager from people I know around the country, and I told everybody to ask me that absolutely take Lawrence Cager. He ended up at Georgia. I mean, he's their he's their leading receiver. I mean, we just let him walk out of the building, and we don't have a leading receiver. He would have been the leading receiver potentially probably this year at Miami. Yeah. So that was that, that's one of the big fails of this year, no doubt. All right, oh, Roland. Thanks for being part of the show, man. Let's go to the uh, 828. You're on Kane Sport Live. Hey, Gary. Who's this? This is Joe. I just have What's a up, Joe? For, uh, I just have a message for your buddy, Greg. I really appreciate the easy hundred I won off of him this year. That's all I got to say. All right. Thank you. Let's go to the uh, – <laughs> like, like everybody cares. Let's go to the 786. You're on Kane Sport Live. Gary, how are you? Hey, what's up, everything? How you doing this week? Nothing much, man. Missed the offensive opportunity. Just wanted to make one point. It's all right. Go ahead. You guys, uh, you guys talked about the, the kids that are going to be transferring or possibly leaving or going pro. And, and honestly, it doesn't make a difference because there's nobody that's a difference maker on offense with the exception of D.J. Dallas. And he's been able to just be, you know, make things on his own, do things on his own. Uh, yeah, the offensive line has gotten better. Uh, yeah, they've executed better and they've grown. It's a process. You know, it's part of the journey. All those things are great to hear. But at the end of the day, this kid has created like 70% of his offense after after contact. And you can't teach that. That's the ability to go ahead to, to man up and get things done. And, and there really isn't anybody else on the offensive end that you can say possesses those traits other than Brevin Jordan. Uh, and, and he's been nicked up. And, and it's, it's second year in a row he gets nicked up, if I'm not mistaken. So, when you look at offensively, we don't have difference makers. The kids that are being redshirted, you know, I, I've seen Jeremiah. I saw Jeremiah last year at the spring game uh, in Orlando. I liked I liked his ability to get in and out of his uh, his breaks pretty quick. Uh, he runs low. He's smart. He gets defenders on their on their hips to open their hip slot, which I I think is it's, a, it's basically something he learned from a from a solid high school wide receiver coach. You can see he came in well well groomed as you know, other kids like Mark Pope and D. Wiggins, not only were they they're just used to running by people, they mentally can't pick up on the things that need to be done. So I, I think that's one kid going forward that'll help us. And incoming, uh, I, I don't see anybody that makes me go, wow, that, that kid's going to make an immediate impact. You guys are mentioning Michael Redding, and maybe he's he's going to be the next Amon Richards, but I really don't see it. Uh, there really isn't a difference maker, a guy that you've got to game plan for as a as a as a playmaker on the offensive end. And, and I, I was hoping things would change, but I mean, I mean, look at who we have committed to us thus far. And Don Cheney has, I mean, uh, Cheney has played against what subpar competition. Is he going to be able to do those type of things at this level? I'm not so sure that's going to be the case with him. 
uh, great instincts, all those things are there. But until you play against that competition day in, day out, like some of these other kids that we have coming in, I really don't know what you can and can't do. Um, nice kid, though. Uh, very great background and all that, but I, I don't see that. On the defensive side of the ball, uh, you mentioned our biggest hit was going to be linebacker. Uh, and I've heard Manny D has mentioned so many times how great Shaq is. i got to tell you guys, I don't see it. He plays hard, great leader, but he's slow. And if you get him in pass coverage, he's done. Uh, I think we've got more speed coming in from the kids that are – the young kids that are coming in, the kids that were, were redshirting, I think runs a little bit better than he does as well. And one kid that I'm surprised that we haven't made any headway with locally is the kid who was at MacArthur this year. Uh, is Hippolyte. I, I think he runs a lot better than Shaq ran at, at, at you know at that same stage, uh, being a senior. Uh, I, I think that's the one area that that makes me a little bit optimistic. We do have a little bit more speed next year. I don't know how that's going to transcend in terms of making plays and learning the defense and all those things. But having a, a guy like McLeod be around for another year, Gary, that's that's got to definitely help. Uh, the learning curve for all these young kids. Absolutely, it's going to help. Uh, Otherwise, it would be it would be a disaster. Uh, and, and, and last but not least, the striker position. I, I would like to, to give credit to the coaching staff that we do have, the returners that we've had, and Coach Patkey and and Coach uh, Banda. Um, Frierson has worked with Coach Banda as well a little bit when he first came on board. I think this kid is still learning things as well. But he's a freakish athlete. Um, I don't think he has quite the, the football IQ coming in that a kid like um, what's, the, what's the heck is this guy's name? Our current our current striker. What's his name again? Is it uh, Fidley? Finley. I don't know if he came in with that type of football IQ, but I think he's capable of putting things together more so than we think. Um, he's had a couple of blown assignments here and there this past year, but he's really what he's a redshirt freshman, correct? I believe that is correct, yeah. As a redshirt freshman, you know, I mean, he's played multiple positions, playing the defensive backfield and playing now playing the striker position for the last year. I think we have to give him a little bit more time, and he's had some good moments thus far. So, right now, um, defensive secondary, uh, I know we keep talking about what a poor Mike Rump, Mike Rump is recruiting-wise, and he's been horrible. He's been horrendous. He has not been able to keep a big, uh, big-time big player home. But he has been able to be a great teacher, and he's always been a great teacher, and I've always given him credit for that. Uh, I still don't see Blades as a top-tier cornerback. Uh, that pitch and catch uh, with the kid from Louisville and that wide receiver pretty much exposed him on that one play where he bit. So I don't see him – really working out as a corner, I kind of like him more coming in and helping as a free safety. Uh, if he was a little bit bigger, maybe as a strong safety. But right now, the kid that we don't know enough about is a kid from Alabama uh, that Alabama dropped. Uh, we, have, we, have to, we have to see how he gets through this first year, how much more weight he's going to put on, how much more muscle he's going to put on. How explosive this kid going to get with our strength and conditioning coach? He's just starting, but the kid from Shaman and Madonna, I think that 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 kid's a playmaker, Gary. I think the Corey Couch can flat out play. Yep, 
Yeah, and and you know he should get stronger by next season and should be able to contribute, no question. But anyway, guys, that's all I have for tonight. All right, everything. Thanks as always for for being part of the show. Let's go to the let's go to the eight six five. You're live on Kane Sport Live. Hey Gary, it's James again, buddy. Um, on the defensive side of the uh, ball. One thing we talked about a few weeks ago was how bad Manny had been recruiting-wise to get us in this position at this point. Um, and that's one thing that I don't know if he's still taking the lead on this or is Patsy. Um, and, and listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and swing for the fences. Um, I think that we do get Justin Flo. I, I, maybe I'm dreaming, but I'd love to just know that if we get that guy, I agree with you, he steps right in there and starts, you know, kind of like a DJ Williams thing type of thing. But uh, um, that's a, that's a program altering kind of talent, that kid, because he'll bring other kids with him, If not this year, obviously, but next year he'll, he'll, he'll be uh, the spark plug that, that gets your out of town recruiting going. Yeah, absolutely. And um, in town too, because the kids wise, are going to want to play with him. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Defensive line-wise, um, the one thing I was going to ask you, so there's really a chance that Garvin would still go despite him, I mean, honestly, being the third-best defensive end behind Trayvon Hill and Russo right now? It's hard so, for me to imagine, but I'm, that, you know, there is scuttlebutt that he's strongly leaning in that direction. Hopefully somebody talks wow. some sense into him here in the next few weeks. Wow. Well, I, I, I'm just shocked because I, I wanted to make sure I heard that correctly as I was listening. Um, yeah, I just hope this Jalen Phillips kid, um, I didn't realize that it was a concussion thing. I thought that he had had a falling out with that new staff at UCLA and so forth, uh, uh, to come to Miami and so forth. But, uh, I, I'll go ahead, Gary, if you can clear that one up with Jalen. Yeah, no, he did. He had, he had concussion issues out there. Really? Yeah. I I had no idea about that. I, I, if he can stay healthy, I mean, like you said, even if Patchen doesn't get, that um, granted that uh, that six year or not, um, which Manny said that he felt pretty good about that he would get it. I mean, you've got a hell of a rotation there with, uh, you know, Phillips, if he can stay healthy, obviously Russo. And uh, and we haven't even seen Jafari Harvey, who uh, that was some guy that really excited me when I saw his film last year when he was coming in. So I'm looking forward to him. And, and this Chance Williams, too, he could probably get in the rotation maybe as well. I don't know if uh, there's another guy ahead of him that they that they like. But uh, that's a solid four. And, you know, the one thing that I think that uh, has been uh, kind of misconstrued with this defensive line the last couple of years, they've had a new coach every year. Is there a good chance Stroud will stick it out again? because it seems like they're finally starting to get on board with whatever he's trying to, uh, to push. And uh, it just, you know, from Coach Cool and, uh, and, I, and the other guy escapes me that, that's now with the Falcons and so Simpson. forth. But uh, it just – Simpson, yeah. And uh, I just feel that, uh, that, that that's a continuity right there that would be very helpful that if, if they stick with another defensive uh, – if, if they have to keep this guy for another year, you know, it would be, it would be great for the continuity right there. Um, DB-wise, the only thing that I'm going to say is, yes, Rumpf has been an awful recruiter, and we have missed out on a lot of guys. But the one thing that I'm hopeful for is that he's developing these guys – and if they can stay healthy, I really like – I mean, I, I don't know if there's even the possibility. I know you've mentioned it a lot, Gary, but is there a chance that if Ivy and Blade, you know, step it up another another level in the off season and, you know, get, get going, is there a chance that they would move Bandy back to the nickelback spot? And I think that that would make the DBs and the defense even more elite if uh, – because if, that's ultimately what he'll play in the pros if he gets a chance there. I mean, what do you all think? I, I think there, was, there, there would be a chance of that uh, without question. Because that's where really where he belongs. 
So if those two guys yeah. can prove that, that they're as good as him outside, then yeah, I could see that. That's a good thought. Yeah, I mean, I was just I'm just thinking because if the defense is if we can just solve the problems at the linebacker spot, you know, with or or you know, flow obviously is a game changer, like you said. But if you can, if you have to go with what you've got right now, and the if the defensive line is as dominant as you say, the linebackers can kind of clean up and and maybe be hidden, and the DBs take that next step. That's a that's a definitely I wouldn't say national championship caliber, but definitely coastal champion caliber, and hopefully uh, be able to uh, challenge all those receivers that Clemson has, and uh, if we even get that shot, you know. But that's that's the main thing. So, um, oh, one one more thing. Gary, and I don't know if he's still on or not, I, I wanted to know how everything thought about Duke's performance against Syracuse and if he still thinks Duke will beat Miami in a couple weeks. Like I said last week, I was very <laughs> firm that uh, that uh, Miami will walk into uh, Wallace Wade uh, with a victory and walk out with it, you know. So that I don't. Uh, I just wonder if uh, everything was impressed yeah. with Duke's performance against Syracuse. But anyway, uh, just having I'm, a little fun I'm, there. I'm sure he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Hey, Gary, thank you, buddy. Have a good one. Bye. Yeah, you got it. Thanks for being part of the show. Let's go to the 305. 305, you're on Kane Sport Live. All right, we'll maybe circle back to you. Let's go to the 443. You're on Kane Sport Live. Going once, going twice. All right, well, that's the – I got through the, the, the first cycle of calls, so I will circle back through – here in a few minutes and give guys a second shot if they have more comments they want to make. But, but Matt, before we cut you loose for the night, so you can go cook your stone crabs. Um, I want to play a, I want to play a rapid fire game with you here real quick called better or worse. Okay. In 2020. Okay. Since that was our, our theme for tonight. And I'm going to say the position yeah. group and I want you to tell me, are they going to be better in 2020 or worse in 2020 than they were in 2019? All right. Quarterback. Oh, better. I'll say, I'll agree. I'll say better too. Running back. Can I say same? Running back, I'm going same. I'm not going to say better. We're doing better. Uh, same yeah. or worse. I'm I'll, I'll join you same. on that. I'm definitely not going to say better if DJ Dallas is not in the program. I'll, I'll go. Yeah. I'll go same with you. Um, wide receiver. Uh, uh I'm going to go with worse. I mean, lose Osborne, probably Thomas. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with a little bit worse. Okay, I'm going to hope that Jeremiah Payton makes up for losing those guys and um, and that Redding comes in ready to play. Um, so I'm going to say slightly better on that one. Uh, tight end. Better. Yeah, I'll say better, too, with Hodges coming in full time. Um, offensive line. Better be better. <laughs> yeah, it'd be right. It better, better, better be better, better, better. Uh, defensive line. Uh, I think they're going to be a little bit better. I really do. They're still pretty okay, good line- here. I can't disagree. How about linebacker? Worse. I mean, I, you know, worse, yeah. Okay, and DB? Better. All right, so I think you and I are in agreement. Um, we got six betters, one worse, and one same. So let's assume this is an 8-4 and four team. Next year's team's got to – it's got to be a 9-10 win team. I mean, really should yeah, be 10. If, if, we said the same thing going into this year. We said they're going to win. I understand. Well, they're going to win nine or ten games. It's the same thing. I, I understand. Something. They, they got to do a better change. job. Got to do a better job. I totally agree with you. But on face value, there is something there for people to just feel a little bit 
okay about as they go through nine months of off season. Oh yeah, there's and, reason for hope for the program for sure, no doubt. Yeah, there, there's reason for hope, but not close, not even close to a championship level. Don't even think about it. Uh, just not even close. But um, can they win the coastal next year? Yeah, they should have won it this year. So if they really are better in all those areas, like Matt and I think they are, um, they should certainly be able to win the coastal next year. And um, you know, Manny's going to be under the gun to make that happen. Let's let's be honest. This is the, I refuse to buy into this total rebuild. Like some people want to call say this is a total rebuild. Um, you know, it's not a total rebuild. This is not starting from scratch by any stretch of the imagination. No. So uh, no. we'll see what happens. All right, Matt. Well, I uh, um, hope you enjoyed your time on Kane Sport Live. Yeah, you got a little bit of a tame, I would say a tame version of Kane Sport Live. It gets, as you know, you know, it gets yeah. it gets a little heated in this in this room sometimes on some of these Tuesday nights. Uh, tonight, I think so far has been pretty tame. But uh, thanks for taking the time to be with us and help me out here on these breakdowns and. Um, Go ahead and uh, cook your crabs, and I'm going to continue on with the phone calls. Uh, we got about 40 minutes of show left, and the number is 563-999-3633, 563-999-3633. You hit the one on your keypad if you want to come on the show. And um, I'm just going to go back to the top top of the board right now and give everybody that's on here a chance to to chime in again, uh, starting with Greg in the 845. You're live on Kane Sport Live again, Greg. Yeah, Gary. How you doing again? Um, doing good. You, you do realize we, we were tied or winning every game in the late in the fourth quarter this year. Mm-hmm. So this, this, this is not a terrible uh, team by any No, but it was a terrible schedule. Would you agree it was a terrible schedule? Yeah, I, I do. I, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, Greg, there's not, uh, there's not, but by the time we're done here, these next few weeks, when the few teams get done beating each other, there's, there's not going to be an ACC team probably even sniffing the top twenty-five, other than Clemson. We might do it. Okay. We might actually. I, I take that back. Miami will be the only one because we're going to win these last couple games, and everyone else is going to win one, lose one, whatever. Okay. We're going to win these. We're going to win these last two. Did you? If we don't win these two, does everything still think we're going to lose to Duke? I think it's highly improbable that that he still believes that when you, yeah, I mean, they, they got destroyed. There's something wrong there. I don't know what it is. I haven't really had a chance to figure it out and find out about it, but like, there's definitely something wrong there. I mean, David Cutcliffe teams don't get beat like that. Right, and uh, Mr. Know-it-all, everything, said that we had no chance of getting Knighton a couple weeks ago, and I think we have a good chance of getting them. They Maybe absolutely do have minute. a chance. Right, but he said we Definitely. Didn't. Okay, now. Definite chance. Did you mention Jalen Phillips when you went over to I defense? Did. I, I did. I did. Yep, he's we not did. An elite, he wasn't an elite recruit. No, I, I said school. if he's healthy and cleared, he has a chance to be a real difference maker. Okay, is Scott Patching going to come back next year? Think so. Looks look, it's trending that way. Yep. Okay, so so, so is it true that we can only take a total of twenty-five? I believe that's true. 
Okay, when are we ever going to get to 85 scholarship players? We're at 70. When they when they players. when they when they change the rules and they let you um, replace your transfers. It's unbelievable. We're we're short-handed every year by like 10 yep. scholarships. Yeah, they're saving money. They're saving money. 10 scholarships. If each one costs 60, 70 grand a year, that's a lot of money they're saving. <laughs> okay. I'll let you go with this last thing. Any chance Manny Diaz takes the FSU job? Zero. Why would he do that? He's at Miami. What Zero if they're going to pay him a lot more money? Zero chance. They're not coming after Manny. Zero, zero, zero. They're not coming after him. They would give Odell Hagens the job before they would. They'd give Odell Hagens the job before they do that. All right, Greg. Talk to you next week. You got it. (laughs) All right, let's give another shout-out to our boy, uh, Sebastian. You got anything else for us tonight, Sebastian? Yeah, the only thing I just wanted to say is, um, you know, this has been a tough year for us, but I do believe that we can salvage it if we go into a bowl game and just let these players just develop. And you talked a lot about just managing the roster. You know, I really believe that, you know, we get through this year, we got players on the team that, we're going to be a little bit more developed, and uh, we'll see where we go back next year. That's all I have for this particular year. So, uh, all right, tonight. Sebastian. We'll talk to you talk to you next it. week. All right, let's circle back, if I dare, to Ross. What's up, Ross? You got anything else for us tonight? <laughs> yeah, Gary, I do, I do. Um, the thing that we were talking about before and, uh, on the defensive end, and uh, you are saying that Garvin made thinking about um, going into the league, um, that's something that we, we rely on our coaches, and this is where we have to sit him down and don't allow some of these local guys, these local agents, to get to him and convince him otherwise. I don't, if I'm not mistaken, he's not, um, he doesn't come from the family background that wishes like, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's about family and the family needs the help. And I'm, I haven't heard anything about, you know, family issues or family needs the help and he has to get um, off the team and go into the league to, just to get the money. So I haven't heard anything like that. And this is where our mm-hmm. coaches come in. This is where they have to really um, focus on. Hey, another thing that's really big, and you've been touching on this for like the last three, four weeks, and um, it's a shame Matt is gone because I really wanted to know what he thought about this. Like, we have to get guys in, even if they're graduate, I don't know who they are, but we got to get guys that's going to focus on recruiting and know what they're doing in the building and, and, and really dedicate themselves to really, really know who's out there. And because, Gary, you watch a lot of football. And there's teams out there that's putting guys on the field that could play, and they're not at the big schools. They're at the Cincinnati's. They're at the Memphis. They're, at the, 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 they're solid, and we're at the big school, and we can't do it. So those are the things I think we need to focus on. Garvin, should, we should be forced to stay, in a sense. We should, the coach has got to get at him, sit him down, and explain to him what's going on and why he should stay because we need guys like that to stick around to allow our defense to be more than solid, to be, to be excellent. Yeah, he hasn't I, done I enough know. this year that he should be thinking NFL, but that's just not how these guys are wired, man. They just, I mean, I think he decided before the season that, that he was leaving after this year. So we'll see. We'll see what he ends well, up doing. You know, I guess we got to do a better job of just convincing guys. I mean, just, sometimes you have to recruit your own guys, you know, and – I do think the linebackers are going to be faster and better. And you, none of you guys have didn't mention. Maybe you did. I can't remember if you you didn't mention Joiner. What's going on with Joiner? 
He's just working back from injury. We haven't really seen enough of him to have much of an opinion. Well, he has to be a guy that's going to be in the mix. If he's not a defensive, if he's not like yeah. a we, we included guy, him on the list. Guy in the Okay, he'll be in the he'll, he'll be in the competition whether he'll win it or not. We don't have any idea at this point, but well, he okay, he well, he will be in the mix. Well, here's the thing. You know, you said, listen, if you're going to get a guy, if you're going to bring in a guy, he has to be better than the next guy that you recruit, that we already have on 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 the roster. Well, this is how I feel about Chris Williams. He's a kid. No matter who we have starting, he's a kid that has to get on the field next year and play a lot, to for us to say that was a really good pickup. Because if I'm not mistaken, he was a four-star, right? Yeah, yeah. I just he's feel like how is this program supposed to get anywhere if everything stays the same? I just don't see it. I mean, we've, we've been watching this thing now for 15 years, and something has to change. Like same plus same plus same plus same plus same got times 15 equals same. And it hasn't mattered who the head coach is. They haven't been able to put the right combination together and and just transform what's going on in the building. And it's no reason why we should not be just solid to better. I've said it from day There's one. There's no reason. There, the players look, are there. Look. The, the amount of talent from South Florida getting away is absolutely disgusting. And, uh, you know, if you want to graduate past these seven, eight, nine win seasons – my feeling is you have to upgrade your standards in recruiting. And the door is wide open because the, the, the two best teams cannot be Florida and UCF. It just is not, that's not allowed to happen. It's not allowed to happen. We have to, we have to make sure that doesn't happen. And that's all yeah. I have to say, man. We got we to gotta put an end to that. Okay, all right. We'll so talk to you next week. Enjoy Thanks for being the on the show tonight. All right. All right uh, let's see. Let me go give Roland another shout-out. Roland, you got anything else for us tonight? Going once, going twice. All right. Um, let's um, let's see if James has anything else for us. James, you got anything else tonight? Yeah, buddy. Uh, one more thing, uh, or a couple more things. Uh, Darnell Washington, if he committed, would that be enough to get Mallory to redshirt finally, or what do you think? <laughs> so. I mean, I, well, you or yeah, because he that kid probably won't redshirt. I, I listen. I think Will Mallory can be a great college tight end. I really do. And I don't think he's getting the chance to be it. And, and rather than have him get frustrated and go into the transfer portal and have been here three years and done nothing, I would redshirt him next year and then bring him back for, for two more. And, and if he has a great year the year after and goes to the pros, all the power to him, but at least you'd have the option of him having two solid years where he could be a real focal point of the offense. Catching four uh, balls in a I mean, season, is, that does yeah, nothing. I, I, and I think that, you know, last year, if it hadn't been such many depth issues, he would have redshirted last year and just Brevin would have been in the fold. But injuries and lack of depth, you know, caused that problem, unfortunately. But uh, I feel he's coming on now. And like you said, it could be the competition that they're playing against as well. That Louisville defense was awful. But, uh, you know, here's the thing. He was wide open. He caught it this time. You know, it wasn't like the drop against North Carolina. You know, I, I see things. I see progression. And, and, you know, like I said, he's playing again. And I know they're, they're roommates or, or they're good buddies and so forth. But there's definitely a difference between him and Brevin when you see him on the field. And so no doubt. No question. Brevin's, a, so, but, Brevin's uh, at a different level. 
Yes, absolutely. Um, other thing, real quick, um, in regards to the schedule, you know, Gary, and I, I, I watched. Uh, I don't even know why I did it. I, I, I watched a little bit of that Virginia Tech Georgia Tech game, and it made me sick to my stomach to know that we lost to Georgia Tech. It's over. It's done with. I'm not going to harp on it anymore. But the thing is, is next year more than anything, we cannot lose to teams that are inferior us in talent, in coach. I mean, I, I just, I just look at that team. And I know that everything that probably could have gone wrong, if you have a kicker, you kick a field goal. But that's the thing that you talk about these 15 years that's been apparent. What about these inexplainable losses to teams that have no business being on the field with Miami, even before there was the parity? That's the thing. Yeah, that and, and here's the problem. The most. Here's the problem with the, with the kicking excuse. Why are you in that close of a game? Damn right. Where, where one kick is determining a win or loss. Like, why? I mean, you 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 have a much better roster than than these teams. Yeah, and why are you settling so. for field goals down there in the red zone and the play calling? I mean, like you said, why are you not running it down their throat when you when the guy had 134 yards? Talking about Cam Harris, you know, and or, or Cameron. Yeah, I mean, because DJ got hurt that game, but still, you're running it down their throats and and you didn't even move it right down the middle of the field. I mean, there's so many things that are frustrating, and that's what bothers me the most. And this coaching staff, whether they stay together or Manny makes changes. The thing is, is they cannot make these same mistakes like next year. They need to learn from them. That's the one thing that I'm going to take away from this season. That if the, and, and if I see that improvement next year, that you're not making the same mistakes, same stupid play calls. Know your personnel. Get the ball in space. And I'll tell you one thing that, that was, was missed. The speed, whoever said that, is absolutely correct. That's how we beat these teams that were bigger than us. We, we, we just were outquicked about speed, 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 speed. And that's the one thing in recruiting that I would love to see Miami get back to, to the elite guys, like you said. And also, just the fact that we do have to put that fence back around South Florida and get the guys in different states that you need for different positions. Look at Canada. Look at the old pipelines. And that's got to be Manny making that, you know, be the politician. You know, you're a politician's son. Get back in the good graces with these coaches. If the recruiting is as disgusting as it looks, I mean, and it is. I mean, there's, there's no way to sugar point it. You have got to do something as the head football coach of Miami and repair that because it has been a disaster for 15 years. And I know that Shannon had made a little bit of inroads, but when that ended, I felt that uh, uh, the horror stories that I heard about Golden and so forth, that is the thing that needs to be repaired. And it's on Manny. It's on Manny and it's on his staff, and he needs to get his guys to recruit and develop these guys, and that is part of the big solution and just going back and kicking ass. That's what I got, Gary. Love the show. Talk to you next week. All right, James. Thanks for being part of it. All right, 563-999-3633, 563-999-3633. Hit the number one on your keypad if you want to get in on the show here down the stretch. Let's go to the 305. You're live on Kane Sport Live. Hey, Gary. How you doing? Doing great. Who's this? This is Thomas from New York City. Um, actually, hey, what's up, Thomas? Tomorrow. Um, but I have a question coming into the FIU game. Are there any uh, current red shirts? that uh, might be able to use one of their four games that you're kind of excited to see? Because uh, I know a couple of them have only played in one or two games and not in obviously not going to be meaningful minutes, but haven't really gotten to see, you know, any of those young D-tackles flash anything. Yeah, give me a minute to get the participation chart up, which I'm working on right this minute, and um, I'll answer that question for you. Did, you. did you have anything else? Yeah, um, I guess also do you see any uh, – any possible positional changes, you know, maybe a safety sliding, 
um, into the striker role or an outside uh, defensive lineman sliding inside or anything like that going into the season? Not, not off the top of my head. No, I, I, I do not. Um, you know, I think everything's pretty much, you know, slotted the way you might see somebody move to striker or something like that. Cause you know, right now Frierson's really the only guy they have there. So someone's going to become a striker, I think, but for the most part, uh, I would say no. All right, let me get back to your first question. I'm going to point out the guys that have not played four games yet. Uh, Jason Blissett, uh, I've got to believe there's a chance you could see him um, down the stretch of the season here. Um, same thing with Harrison Hunte. They both have only appeared in one game so far. Jafari Harvey's only been in three, so he can make one more appearance. I wouldn't be shocked if you saw him at some point. Um, Larry Hodges has only played in three. Don't be shocked if you see him. Jalar Holly, I mean, at some point, they got to let him do more than dance. Uh, he's only played once so far this year, so I think you could see him um, down the stretch. Patrick Joyner, for sure you're going to see some. Uh, Tommy Kennedy, only if it's garbage time, will they throw him back out there? Um, same thing with Tyreek Martin. Uh, I'm not, I don't think he has much of a future. Um, he's a transfer candidate, ain't he? Yeah, he's definitely – I can't imagine that he'll be around next year. Uh, Keontra Smith, I think there's a very good chance you'll see him again uh, in these last couple games. Ousman um, Treor, you might see him. And that's it. So, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of those guys that haven't played four yet. So you could definitely see them. Cool. Um I think that's it. Uh, thanks for everything. Have a good night. All right, man. Thanks for being part of the show. Let's go to the uh, 443. You're live on Kane Sport Live. 443, you with us? All right. Going once, going twice. All right. Well, you'll have to call in next week. All right. Last call for tonight, 563-999-3633, 563 3633. You hit the one on your keypad if you want to come on the show. Uh, if you want to get in, call now. Let's go to the 404. You're live on Kane Sport Live. What up, Gary? This, this is Uki. Hey, what's up, Uki? How you doing this week, man? Mm-hmm. I saw you carrying on on the message board about something. Oh, Enos. You don't you don't want Enos back? No, that that was not about. I was talking about. Speak up, speak up for us a little bit. Talk talking to your phone so everybody can hear you. No, it wasn't about not wanting him back. It was for the people who swore up and down he was going to get another job. I'm trying to figure out where he, where is he exactly going. <laughs> so the people who are worried about him leaving, like where is he going to? What has he shown that he's deserving of a job, whether it's Michigan State or any other program? Like where is he going? Mm-hmm. So, legitimate, so, I mean, legitimate question. I, I mean, I, obviously they're familiar with him at Michigan State. So I don't know if if they you know if Ross is correct and that they're really looking for something up there or not. I don't know, but um, I agree with you that the, he probably is not in like the most ridiculous demand, especially at the salary level that he's at. Yeah, like they bought a good coach know, though. He is a good he is a good coach. Yeah, but I mean he's not he's not getting the head coaching job this year. He's not. I don't know. Anyway. I don't think so either. Yeah. 
But um, I call, I'm, I'm calling, I'm trying to figure out why our, so many of our fans are so want to avoid playing a top 10 or a top 15 program. I don't understand that. I don't uh, know that it's that. So- I mean, I don't. I think that they would love to see it in a bowl game. I, I, I think that the, the, the argument is, do you really want to back into the Coastal with four losses, or I guess three conference losses, do you really want to back into the Coastal this year and go play Clemson, which is going to probably blow you out. Uh, what does that accomplish? Okay. You know, wouldn't you rather finish the season with a five-win win streak and then go play a decent team in a bowl game? I, I think that's the better path. That's my personal opinion. I don't, okay. you know, okay. yeah. but it, but it's not even an issue, Uki. It's not an issue because they're out of the coastal race. They can't win the coastal. But I'm not even talking about the coastal. I'm talking about the, even the fans who harping on not wanting to play Alabama in a bowl oh, game. Oh, God, you'll oh, play, you should want to play anybody in a bowl game. I totally agree with you. But my whole thing is, Gary, like, I would rather get blown out by freaking Alabama than show up, not show up, and play against a Kentucky or a South Carolina. So, I mean, if I yeah, or, lose, or lose to Wisconsin again. Yeah, no, you're right. Yes. Yeah, so yeah why not go against Wisconsin. Alabama? See where you see where you are, man. And if there's an awakening there for you, take the damn awakening. I'm all for awakenings exactly, right now. Yeah. I don't think we're close. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm rather I'm rather get blown out by a top ten, top five team or whatever, and then go not show up against whoever we might play in a Nashville Bowl or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, I'm tired of this, like, you know, like, walk, pussification of walking around um, issues or whatever. I want to find out where we are as a team. I want to find out where we are as, as a coaching staff. I'm, I'm tired of tr- wondering and pondering because beating Louisville and beating the bad FSU team didn't tell me nothing about this team. Didn't tell me nothing about this staff. Just tell me that, okay, we could beat two very bad programs. So, I mean, and beating FIU is not going to tell me anything, and beating Duke's not going to tell me anything. So, I mean, the fact is we're not going to know until we run up against a real team. Hopefully we do play a team like Alabama or Auburn or, hell, shit, possibly could run up against Oregon. I mean, hell, I don't. I mean, I just I just want a shot of playing a team that's legit. Not, I'm tired of playing garbage-ass teams in either – Coming, coming out looking like trash against them, or you know, just just not learning nothing about about your team at all. I'm tired of that. You know, I mean, if we're talking about improving recruiting, if we're talking about getting better as a team, you need a program that's going to help you elevate your program. Bama would help elevate this program. Auburn would help elevate this program, and that's what we need. We we need to hope that we play against a team in a bowl game that's worth a damn instead of going against a team that's not going to help us at all. That's just my opinion. I'm with you. With you all the way, Uki. Can't believe it. Can't believe I'm saying that, but 100% agree with you. What else you got? Anything else? My dad, that's it, Gary. All right, man. Hey, thanks for calling in. All right, guys, that's going to do it for tonight. Uh, I want to thank everybody that participated. Thank Matt Shadell for giving us his time tonight as we broke down the 2020 Hurricanes. Hope we gave you a pretty good idea of, of how things look going into next season. And uh, we tried to get really deep into it. And uh, there's going to be some question marks, but the schedule is favorable. But you're going to have to be good enough. You're going to have to go on the road 
to Virginia Tech and Georgia Tech and win those games. You're going to have to go on the road to Wake Forest and win that game. So, you know, it's not all gimmies, but the out-of-conference schedule is very soft. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, In the meantime, I want to thank also Sicilian Oven for once again sponsoring our show tonight. You know all about the six locations throughout South Florida in Plantation, Aventura, Lighthouse Point, Coral Springs, um, Boca Raton, and Fort Lauderdale. Go to SicilianOven.com to find the location nearest to you. You'll not only love the taste at Sicilian Oven, but you will taste the love. We will be back next Tuesday night. We will talk about what happened at the site of the Old Orange Bowl on Saturday. I hope to see a bunch of you out there. Uh, I know they've only got about 35,000 seats, but pack them up with Canes fans and, uh, you know, it should be a fun day. Um, And then we'll have, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the post-Thanksgiving trip to Duke where they got the long walk from the locker room. That's going to be pretty lonely because that stadium is going to be virtually empty, I think, on that Saturday um, after Thanksgiving up there at Duke. So uh, an interesting end to the season. Don't see the Canes losing again. You know, I think they're going to go into bowl season eight and four, and uh, we'll see what the bowl lineup brings us. So until next Tuesday night, good night, everybody.